Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to our final installment of the Hannibal Lecter retrospective series. We apologize. It has been such a long time since we have picked this series back up. Uh, We hope you enjoyed our bonus review uh, for one dollar of prisoners that is up at Podbean, and we also did a Rogue One discussion. And I'm aware that I I wasn't very good at putting those up per se because Christmas break was kind of busy, and I also traveled uh, out of the country. I went to Israel, so that kind of got in the way. But those are up for you to go and enjoy and listen to. This will be the final in our uh, Hannibal Lecter retrospective series. As far as I'm concerned, I'll let Alan speak for himself. This is probably the last okay, one. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Uh, neither of us are coming back for Hannibal Rising. I I just have no desire to know the origins of Hannibal Lecter. I think that character's origins should remain a mystery. I just, I just hate it when they taint things like that. It's like, no, don't ruin the purity and the awe of the character. So I have no desire to, to uh, watch Hannibal Rising. Alan doesn't either. Yeah, we've come full circle with Red Dragon, which is a remake of Manhunter. It's about 20 years uh, about twenty years later. Yeah, it is quite a bit later. Actually, this was released October 4th of 2002, a perfect month for horror. And this is just a year after Hannibal, so they really put this out fast. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because it's basically a remake it's a prequel yes of silence of the lambs oddly yeah it's it's kind of hard to think of it that way we'll talk about the very end which i i kind of liked i thought that was a little fun nod to it yeah but this is a prequel to silence of the lambs i mean it's still a sequel i guess you could say because it's it comes after at like as far as release dates and whatnot Right. And I think what they were trying to do is they saw that Hannibal didn't fare well with fans, so they're trying to harken back to the spirit of Silence of the Lambs, which won five Oscars in all the major categories. Um, it was just, it was huge. I mean, it was huge. And it, if you go back and listen to our review, you'll know how much we love the Silence of the Lambs and appreciate it. Oh, yeah. The second longest review we've ever, ever done. <laughs> right after Prisoners, yes. But we get a whole new crew this time. Ridley Scott did not come back. The only returning person from the previous film is Anthony Hopkins, of course, to reprise his role as Lecter. For good reason, too, because he's basically like the the iconic Hannibal Lecter. We do get two more, two or three, I believe, more people that were in Silence of the Lambs, so it was nice to see them come back and reprise yep. their roles and keep that continuity because there was possibility they wouldn't be coming back. Right. And it kind of helps with the authenticity of uh, pulling these two to, these two films, Silence of the Lambs, or Red Dragon, then Silence of the Lambs, pulling them together. It really does. It really helps tie that prequel, sequel together, both of those right. films together. And before we go any farther, I just want to give a spoiler warning. If you haven't seen Red Dragon, then and you want to see Red Dragon, and you don't want anything to be spoiled for you, I suggest that you shut the podcast off right now, go ahead and watch the film, and then come back and listen to our thoughts. We will not be spoiling... The other films, we may 
talk about plot um, points for Manhunter because while this is a remake, a very, very close remake, and we do have a podcast on Manhunter. That was the very first uh, installment of the Hannibal Lecter series, so I recommend you go back and listen to Manhunter and then listen to Red Dragon because they're very close films. Getting into some of the details of this, this was directed by Brett Ratner, who is a uh, name people may be familiar with. He directed the Rush Hour series. Uh, He uh, uh, took over to do X-Men The Last Stand. Uh, He did the latest Hercules with The Rock. Oh, okay. Yeah, so not really films from the caliber of Silence of the Lambs. Um, Oh, well, he also did Movie 43, too. Did he really? Well, Mm -hmm. that should tell you everything, folks. That's Well, okay, him and like 12 other people. Oh, one of those collaborative things. And he's also been in a lot of TV and he also was a producer for The Revenant, so I guess that's his only really good uh, mark, I would say. Yep, yep. This film also stars, as we said, Anthony Hopkins, Edward Norton. How do you say it? Ralph Fiennes? Ralph Fiennes? Voldemort, we'll just put Lord it that Voldemort. way. <laughs> stars Lord Voldemort, which, yeah, pretty much. Um, yep. This is the untold story of Tom Riddle, guys. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> Got a, also, there's a bunch of people in this film, too. Like, we got uh, Emily Watson and Philip Seymour Hoffman, too. I was shocked to see Philip Seymour Hoffman in this. Same. Well, but he do, he plays a really different character than the other Freddie, Freddie Lands. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Really different. Uh, Harvey Keitel, famous guy. Mm-hmm. Returning, too. Yeah. Mary Louise Parker and Anthony Heald as Dr. Chilton, reprising his role. Mm-hmm. This film is actually written by Ted Talley, who wrote Silence of the Lambs and won the Oscar for it. Oh, wow. I actually didn't know that. And it also has the same cinematographer, too. Oh, it does. Is that that not surprising? That's kind of crazy. Yeah. So we're definitely trying to be as Silence of the Lambs-y as we can. And and that is a good thing. I do believe it works in the film's favor. I believe... We'll get into it in the review. Yeah. But I just... I I don't know why they chose Brett Ratner... He, yeah. he's, what? Look at his track record. I mean. The only other films he did before this was the Rush Hour films. So, I mean. I know. That's kind of a, kind of a stretch. It's an odd choice. And just to kind of tie this into current times, there is a new director for the brand new Halloween film. We just wrote about it on Silver Screen Guide. Uh, new director, new writer. Uh, Danny McBride is writing it along with, I can't remember the other guy's name. Um, I want to say his name is Green something maybe. Yeah, uh, They did the Pineapple Express together. Danny McBride has done tons of comedic films, but apparently he originally wanted to be a horror writer. That's like his kind of original passion, per se. And Brett Ratner did these kind of goofy rush hour films, and what he did with right. this horror film is decent, but it's nothing of like the true caliber and vein of the original. But I'm, I'm hoping that these new guys, this is a kind of a ta- separate tangent, but I'm hoping these new guys with the Halloween film, which I'm a massive Halloween fan, and I'm really looking yeah. forward to the sequel coming out 2018, that they don't take their kind of comedic roots. They said in their statement that they're going really dark with it. So that's what I'm hoping for, not Rob Zombie yeah. Dark, because that's just <laughs> That's a different, different type of dark. Different type of dark, yeah. And this is actually the second longest... Uh, film in the series right after Hannibal. It's two hours and 14 minutes. Yeah, it's pretty long. Uh, it holds a 7.2 IMDb rating, which is kind of funny because Manhunter also holds the same rating on IMDb. It does, yeah. <laughs> it had a budget of $78 million, and domestically it grossed $93 million, 
which is really not good, honestly. I mean, it made its money back, but yeah, it's still not good. Yeah, normally you want to at least hopefully double your budget right. or something or something like that. You're, you always hope for more, but that is, what, like $15 million more? That's really not that good. Yeah. Uh, which I don't blame audiences for not coming back to see the film because it's no surprise. I mean, we both did not like Hannibal. No, in fact, we we both turned it off. <laughs> yeah, look look at how short that review is. That should kind of tell you something. It's like thirty minutes. Yeah, I couldn't even I couldn't even figure out what to say after you left because I was just like <laughs> I don't really know what else to say. <laughs> but definitely um, wasn't too popular with audiences. It did open at number one at the box office, thirty six million, and it was number one for two weeks in a row. Then it dropped to number three, and so on and so forth. Yep. So I mean, it was still popular per se uh foreign yep. it grossed even higher with 116 million with the worldwide total of 209 million so that's, that's that's pretty good that's a good turnout yeah that's a good turnout this is the third highest grossing film in the franchise uh if you adjust for inflation silence of the lambs clearly the highest grossing then hannibal and this is the third highest which i think is probably good probably makes yeah. sense i guess yeah, And that's just kind of how it is. We talked about that with the Rambo series, how right. First Blood, the sequel always normally makes more than the original because everyone's right. mega excited to come back. And if the sequel doesn't do good, then nobody's coming back for the third sequel, which would place it below that one. Right. You know? And that was the same exact case with the Rambo series. And we can see that here. And of course, we also, those of you who may not remember, we like to do a little trivia. I know it's been a little while. This film was nominated for a Teen Choice Award. What an achievement. Yeah, what an achievement. I don't really think teens should be watching this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It just... Maybe if you're 17. Yeah, how many how many R-rated movies are nominated for a Teen Choice Award since teens are, I guess, the very, very upper echelon of the teenage years you can go see a rated R film. But that is a right. very small demographic it's like only about two-ish years right. of of teens right there yeah it was just, i don't i thought it i have no idea bizarre bizarre as i can say yeah it is yeah okay anthony hopkins also stated that one of his goals in playing hannibal lecter for a final time was to reestablish that he is an evil serial killer as hopkins believed hannibal had come to be seen too much as a likable anti-hero by audiences hmm that's interesting yeah makes sense uh, yeah. The Leeds House previously appeared in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So look at oh. that. Oh, uh, okay. Michael Jackson lobbied for the role of Dollarhide. That would have been weird. Probably would have been close to real life for him, but... Uh, <laughs> Wouldn't even have to act. <laughs> I'm going to leave that up to everyone's interpretation. So, uh, but uh, say we got Voldemort. Right. Apparently, Brett Ratner and Michael Jackson did music videos together. Hmm. So that's why... Um, that, really kind okay, of little, I, I can see that. Yeah. Frank Langella recorded lines as the voice of the dragon, but his dialogue was later cut. And throughout the movie, huh. I was wondering whether we would hear the dragon speak because you can hear the dragon speaking to him. And personally, I kind of wish we did. Yeah. Um, I, hopefully that's on a deleted scene. I don't know. Neither of us have the, the disc yeah. for, to check, to check on that. But and Franklin Gala seems kind of like an odd choice, but I think, I think he can kind of pull off that smooth satanic talking voice. Uh, Ethan Hawke, 
uh, was the first choice to play Will Graham. That would have been interesting. I think he might have done better. Maybe. I would agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like Ethan Hawke, so I think I like Ed Norton too. Not knocking, but yeah, Norton. they're both great actors. But yeah, we'll we'll get there. We'll, we'll get there. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, after finding out that Dollarhide knows where he lives, Will brings his family to a horse and sheep ranch, a reference to the story of Clarice's childhood and the Silence of the Lambs. Huh. Kind of cool. Oh, interesting. Jack Black was considered for the role of Freddie Lowndes. That would have been hilarious. See, it would have been fun, and Black and Hoffman look similar, except Hoffman is more serious. He's a more serious actor, and I wouldn't have been able to take Black seriously, and it would have kind of knocked the film down a notch as of like a serious yeah. crime thriller. Or... Especially in that one scene, which we'll get to. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I don't know if this surprises anyone, but Nicolas Cage was considered for the role of Dollar Hyde, which, which Are might you have serious? been awesome. Which might have been that, awesome. I would have paid money if I was in the theaters. That's amazing. <laughs> that might have been. I might have. Yeah. Oh, that that might have changed the game. That, that that's amazing. That would have changed the entire genre of the movie that's almost. So funny. Yes. <laughs> that's amazing. Ah, oh, I love it. And Will Graham shares only four scenes with Hannibal Lecter, which is the same number of scenes Clary Starling shares with him in Silence of the Lambs. Hmm. And that seems odd to me because it feels like in Silence of the Lambs there's a lot more, and but but those scenes are a lot. I think more they're impactful. longer scenes though. They're right. They they're are longer, longer scenes. Yeah. Oh, this is interesting, and I don't. There maybe there's something else that I missed, but apparently the musician that Hannibal sees playing badly in the very opening scene. Uh, and and when he later shirts dinner to his guests, is meant to be Benjamin Raspal, who whose head Clary Starling finds in Sounds of the Lambs. Oh, okay. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how we catch that, but okay. I I don't know. I don't get it. But that's cool tie back. If that's the case, I didn't understand that at all. In yeah. the opening scene, we'll talk about that here in just a second. Yeah. But also at the end. Um, of Hannibal Lecter's note in the Tattler to the Tooth Fairy, it says, Bless you, 666. And, of course, 666 is the mark of the beast in the Book of Revelation, right. which is representative right. of the painting we see, Blake William Blake's painting. Also, something I really want to visit is in the very final episodes, final six episodes of the Hannibal TV show, which I've watched the first half of the first season. It's really, I could say it's, more well done sort of than these like i like the hugh dancy as um, will graham in that and right. mads mickelson does really great as hannibal lecter probably uh just right below anthony hopkins as a younger lecter so that show is it, it was just too much for me to just sit there and watch as entertainment because it was so gruesome and over the top but right. i am really intrigued because the final six episodes are all about red dragon and maybe Silence of the Lambs in there at the end. Because the final episode is called The Wrath of the Lamb. But the episodes right. before that are, it's like the Great Red Dragon. Um, the Great Red Dragon and the woman clothed in the sun. The woman clothed with the sun. The number of the beast. And, it, and those are the four paintings of William Blake. Yeah. About the, red, the Book of Revelation. So I'd be really interested to see their rendition of this. Because it sounds the same. It sounds hopefully more fleshed out and maybe closer to the source material. So 
I don't know. That, that's a third interpretation that I didn't know about of Red Dragon. Hmm. So I might watch those, and if I do, I'll update this review at Silver Screen Guide with my verdict on that, whether that's a worthy thing to watch out of the three right. uh, interpretations. And I was really surprised to hear William Blake because I'm an English major, so I've read William Blake's poetry. I'm familiar with William oh, yeah. Blake. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, his most famous poem is The Tiger. Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forest of the night, uh, who framed thy fearful symmetry. Uh, I think that is an incredible, brilliant poem, and it's so chilling. I mean, it is... It's actually like frightening when you just read it and think of the imagery. It just chills you to the bone, and it's so frightening. And Blake was a nutty guy, nuts. Uh, he did these incredible biblical paintings, but he constantly was seeing visions of very bizarre things and very weird things. He thought marriage was slavery, and uh, him and his wife might have been nudists, if I remember my my classes correctly. Um, that does sound weird. He's got brilliant poems, but he's a total nut, just like uh, the guy who really <laughs> likes him in this that we'll talk about in a little bit. Right. We'll get there. So I'm ready to talk about the film. That's the trivia. Same. All right. I'm ready too. All right. Let's jump into it. I'm not going to give a plot summary. Um, you can go back and listen to Manhunter if you want to know. It's the literally the exact same thing. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I was shocked. Um, I will say, though, that I'm really glad we open with Hannibal, kind of a prequel showing yeah. that relationship, because it really sets the relationship of Will Graham and Hannibal Lecter up. Right. Yeah, it definitely does. But we begin with a, uh, the opening music is, the opening is way better than Hannibal. I'm already, that already gives me good vibes. <laughs> I'm liking the music better. Um, I don't get the... I don't really get the symphony scene. I guess if the trivia is correct, and that's what that means. And he has a ponytail, yeah. which threw me off. And yeah, that threw me off too. Oh, oh, well, okay. I forgot this was a prequel. Yeah. I thought this was continuing from Hannibal from last week. And Same. I was like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> right. I mean, at first I was like, because at first I was like, well... I'm I'm kind of confused, but then I remember you told me it was basically a remake of of Manhunter. So I was thinking, okay, maybe it's just a prequel then. Right. But yeah, it, coming off of the Hannibal and watching this one, there is a there's a big difference. <laughs> there is, and it gives me good vibes. Yes, I'm I'm liking this at first. Yeah. There's a couple times in this review where I like write stuff, and I'm like, what? This doesn't make any sense. What the heck's going on? And then the movie clarifies it for me. Yeah, like with this opening scene, and then towards the end, I'll do the same thing where I'm like, "Oh, what?" <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, and we're we're supposed to assume that what he's feeding his guests is a person. Yes. Okay. Pretty sure that's what it is. I kind of guessed it because that's just what you know Hannibal would do. Mm -hmm. And my only guess was it was the guy in the orchestra, which I guess now we've established that that that's probably who it is. So yes, yeah, that's probably right. We get some action right away, which is good, because when Hannibal stabs Graham, that stabbing was kind of brutal, I thought. Oh, yeah. Like, push him up against the bookcase yeah. and everything, yeah. That was that was brutal. Yeah, I, okay. I was surprised that Edward Norton was in this movie. I had no idea. And, like, I hadn't checked anything on this before I started watching oh, it. Oh, yeah. And I was so Edward Norton was like, hey! <laughs> I was really excited. <laughs> yeah. And then I thought he died in the beginning. I was like... No, don't do that. But then he ended up surviving, so it was okay. Yes, <laughs> yes, and it made me think back to Manhunter when they were when he 
I was like, oh, this is when he catches him. This yeah. is what it is. And so I thought that was kind of neat that they showed that, incorporated that. I did like that too, how they showed like how he caught him and stuff. Like he kind of outsmarted Hannibal kind of to, enough to get him arrested. So that was, I liked that a lot. Did it look like Hannibal was dead? Yes. Yes, it did. I think they were both dead. It's a little. That's why I got confused. Yeah, I know. I was like, oh, Hannibal is dead. Roll credits. Yep. <laughs> and then they had the rolls the credits come to find out that um, Hannibal was not dead, nor is uh, Edward Norton. But we get all of that through Newsline exposition mm-hmm. in the newspaper. Yeah. So, I mean, that's interesting, I guess. <laughs> I wasn't yeah. a big fan of that one. There, it, it was a late opening title. Yeah. I was a little surprised by that. I liked the opening title music. Um, we're... Danny Elfman. Was it Danny Elfman? He's the composer. Yeah, he is. And I really liked at least the opening. The music's pretty good, but I mean, the opening, yeah, I really liked that one too. Danny oh, Elfman. Yeah, it, it does sound very Elfman. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we see some really bizarre imagery. And I guess I didn't realize it until pretty much just now, but every everything we're seeing, like all this weird scrapbook and creepy stuff, is Dollar Hyde's gigantic book and clippings and whatnot. Yes. Yeah, I didn't catch that till towards the end when I saw the big book and stuff, but yeah. Mm hmm. There and there's a lot going on with the newspaper clippings and yeah there's just all kinds of yeah there's just a lot that that is missed with that exposition yep. and it's kind of a funny way to do the exposition because it's just like well yeah, we get it okay he's clearly captured yeah. I mean I don't know I guess to clarify that he wasn't dead right I don't know I I kind of agree with you I just really wasn't a big fan of it because it was just kind of quick and just trying to be too foreshadowing with certain things, you know? Yeah. And I think that my, I think my biggest problem with those, it just, it goes on for quite a while yeah. showing us all these, all these clippings, yeah. like maybe like one or two, that'd be fine, but it keeps going so it can roll out all those credits, you know, and stuff. And this is like, okay, come on. After a while, I've, I get it. I understand now, you know? I agree. I agree. And it picks up right where Manhunter begins. And this was kind of the first sign that I was like, oh, okay. So Mm -hmm. this is going to be the alternate version of Manhunter, pretty much. Yeah. Go back and listen to our Manhunter review. I feel like I gave that movie a fair shot. Um, Yep. I didn't didn't like it. I did not recommend it. I don't prefer it. I was the complete opposite. I actually did like it. Yeah. Alan did. So this is so I'm really going to be really interested to hear what Alan has to say about this one because this is essentially Manhunter but a different version and right. from a, we'll get to it in the very end but accordingly what he said I think the ending is different in this. Yes. Yes it is. So, Ending's a bit different. Yeah. And I I already like the new cast better though, I will say. There's a lot of famous people here. A lot of famous a people lot. and I've seen them in things I like whereas before I really hadn't seen those people and right. I I already know these people and I like them. So that makes me glad. Part of me almost feels like there's too many like famous people in this movie where it almost becomes kind of distracting. Like when you see Philip Seymour Hoffman, I was Mm -hmm. like, hey, why is he in this movie? You know, or a couple other characters like Emily Watson's also in this movie somewhere. and She's the blind love interest and stuff like I guess in the last one we had, oh, what's her face as the as the love interest, uh, but then again, back yeah. then she wasn't as popular right, as she no. is now. Yeah. So I mean, like, there's a lot of famous people in this, and 
part of me always feels like it's a bit too distracting, but they all do a good job regardless. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, it's not a big of a deal. Even that guy who wants to also date the blind lady, I've seen him and stuff before. So yeah. it's like even they're trying right. to make minor characters famous. You know? Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Right, and I don't know if they're just hoping that the star power will um, bring more people in to see the film. That's my guess. hopefully make it a better film from, from Manhunter and just distance it from that. So, yeah, that makes the most sense to us. Although right. I will say right. Mary Louise Parker is not doing very good acting so far. Is that that's the wife, that's, right? That's that's his wife, uh, Molly, Molly Graham. Honestly... I'm just gonna say it. I wasn't a big fan. Well, I I was a big fan of her, and but I mean she's not in the movie very much, so she didn't really bother me. Yeah, but when she is, I was. Yeah, yeah I mean, I mean, Edward Norton, I feel like is the bigger is a bigger problem for me because I honestly wasn't a big fan of his acting here. I'm not either. I didn't think he did the best job. I completely agree. And it's kind of sad. And I I have my notes. I'm not a big fan of Norton's performance here. I feel like he's trying, but doesn't have a lot to work with. Sure. Yeah, that that makes sense. And I said the same thing like right after I said so far, Norton's acting is iffy. I'm having a hard yeah. time attaching to him as the hero. And right. my feelings for that just increased throughout the film. Right. Yeah. So we'll talk more about his performance. But uh, see, I like I like Edward Norton as an actor when he's in the right role. But yeah. he's been in a few roles where it just isn't working, and so far his acting is not working in this. He's just so I'm so unattached. Yeah, this isn't Edward Norton from Fight Club or Edward Norton from Birdman. This is this is a different Edward Norton. Yeah. I I think this is the best role for him. He's, as an he's great in yeah. You just cited Fight Club and Birdman. Yeah. Right. Um. He... But then again, he had a lot more to work with there too. Right. In The Incredible Hulk, he does pretty good too. Yeah, I mean, like, but there he had he has stuff to work with there, you know. Right. Whereas exactly. with this one, I don't feel like there's enough for him to get into the role, which is why he kind of just hams it out a bit. Yeah. So yeah, well, <laughs> and we also get to the first, what is it? The first house that he investigates. Yes. The first kill, yeah. and I will say that this doesn't work for me the same way it worked for me in Manhunter. This is where I'm going to nope. give Manhunter praise. Because when he flipped on the light in that room in Manhunter, it was so bloody and gruesome. I almost could. I almost looked away because it was just like so horrific. Like you think of a bedroom as a safe place you go to sleep at night, and it's just like blood splattering the walls. And in this, yeah, it's and we get that music cue which ticked me off. Um, yeah, it, it, they try to make it a jump scare. They do. They do a couple of those which really get on my nerves and really don't work. Yeah. Yeah, they really don't. I mean, okay, the bedroom is kind of the same as the one in Manhunter mm -hmm. with the blood spider thing because the blood has like goes up on the walls and kind of like wings and stuff, you know? Oh, yeah, I never thought about that. So, I mean, they keep that the same, but at the same time, I feel like Manhunter was so much, which is so effective yeah. in the way that it not only portrayed like how the killer got into the house and then killed the family, but then we see Will come in and then do an investigation, get his mind, get himself into the minds of the villain. Mm -hmm. and then act as if he was the villain, you know, trying to understand why he was there. Edward Norton does nothing with that. Like, he tries, and it tries to show it off on a different a different level, but it's just, it doesn't, I feel like it's better in Manhunter than it is in here, which is sad, because Edward Norton is a, a better-known actor than the other guy. You're right, and the guy who plays 
Hugh Dancy, who does the role of Ed uh, Will Graham in the Hannibal TV series, he does an even better job of like acting that way and getting into the mind. Yeah. Like I've seen enough of him in the show. He's a much better Will Graham than Ed Norton or uh, I can't remember that other guy's name right now. Yeah, you can. <laughs> so, but but the blood there wasn't just as much blood, was there? At least I didn't think there was. I don't think I didn't think there was either. I think I think there was. There was a lot less. The only, the only thing that came back for this scene that kind of like made it a little more impactful was seeing the children's rooms and yeah. kind of see the the blood, um, the dragging of the blood on the floors. Yeah, and that was pretty pretty freaky. That was that was just kind of like oh, when you bring children into it, then that just kind yeah. of gets a little more upsetting because I don't think they really focused or showed the children's rooms in Manhunter. Right. So, and I put in my notes, there are a lot of similar shots. Well, it's actually a scene-for-scene scene remake so far. Yeah, that's what I had in my notes, too. There's almost a scene-for-scene scene remake from Mainhunter to this. Yes, and afterwards we get introduced to Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, which I'm going to give another praise to Manhunter because I liked the character of uh, Freddie Lowndes better in Manhunter than I do in this. I yeah I agree. Philip Seymour Hoffman. I feel like he's only here just for that one scene with him and uh, Dollar Hyde. It only thing it serves though is just to bring out exposition of the killer. Whereas in Manhunter, you know, this character was used was utilized a lot more, and he felt like a threat or whatever he was there for. You know, it, it felt like he meant to be in the movie in Manhunter. He didn't feel like I didn't feel like. You know, Philip Seymour Hoffman had to be here for this one. I feel like it could have been played by anybody, but they chose Philip Seymour Hoffman for some reason. Right. And it's odd because Philip Seymour Hoffman in this looks like a very kind of greasy, unkept guy. But he just doesn't seem as, like, slimy and conniving as the other guy. And there's so much animosity between uh, Freddie Lowndes and Will Graham in Manhunter when he, like, flips him onto the car, which was awesome. This, he just, like, pushes him up against the wall and yells at him. And, yeah, and they don't yell at each other during the interview either. Right, right. And it's it's like, there's, the guy in, in Manhunter just did a lot more than Fosumer Hoffman. Because, okay, he's in this first part of the movie for a little bit, and he's gone for a while. And then mm-hmm. he then shows up later just for the dollar hide scene. Like a scene before that, and then the dollar hide scene, and he's, that's it. That's all we see of him, you know. And he, he just played a bigger role in Manhunter, and I feel like his... He played a good. He did a good job at acting in this movie. I'm not going to give him that, yeah, but I mean, he. I just wish he was utilized better than like he was in Manhunter than he was here. I feel like if you're going to have an actor that big, or even pay mind to him, at least you know try and develop the guy. Right. I agree. To I agree with that. Well, and I'm going to yeah. talk about that more throughout the review. I feel like they should have developed even more of these characters. They should have developed them more. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're just. They're just. We just don't get enough. They allude to some things, and it's like, okay, you really need to give me more. You know, yeah. If I'm going yeah. to like really get attached and don't pique my interest, and then just leave me hanging, that's that's just going to tick me off as an audience member, you know? Right. But I do like that when Graham goes to, we we get Doctor Chilton back. That guy is so creepy, and yeah. we get a redo. I'm glad they got, honestly. I'm kind of glad they got the guy who played Chilton back. I am too. They almost didn't get him back. Yeah, and it kind of helps that, you know, pull the two movies, this one and then Silence of the Lambs, which is the sequel to this one. It kind of helps pull those two together. I like that a lot. I do too. And I also like they did a redo of the shot where Clarice is walking. 
Yes. And there's yes. so much Graham. The only thing that I felt was less impactful, which I don't know if they're just trying to preserve the sanctity or do something different, is when he comes around the corner, Hannibal's laying down. Yep. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, yep. that's not it's like I was actually kind of expecting him to be like standing there like he was in silence. Mm-hmm. But it's too. just like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. He's <laughs> you know? uh, taking a nap. Got it. <laughs> yep, just taking a nap. I mean, he knows he's there, but still. And But, I mean, it was almost shot for a shot exactly like silence except the fact that hannibal was laying down and not standing up i believe we also in this movie only see one prisoner and they look so yes. unthreatening like why are you keeping them in this basement it's like an old man playing cards or something yeah you know yeah there's a, we only see one prisoner and it's just it's really short it was a little less creepy a little uh, anticlimactic i understand what they're doing they're trying to get the audience like back in the mindset to remember from right the movie from seven years ago and get fans like oh hey, hey it's oh we're gonna get another silence of the lambs you know so and i would say that um some of the magic is gone with this scene and i i will say the one thing i did like is we did see hannibal's life before prison he had a luxurious yes. life and he was well respected as a doctor and now he's nothing he's like scum of the earth reviled and he's in uh, lives in an underground small you know uh stone cell so i just really like that they showed that and now they show this and that kind of helps me it just i don't know it kind of gives me a little bit of a new perspective on hannibal because you think he's just been there i don't know you just don't think about him having a life before that and seeing that his life like that so I, i was glad to see that yeah and i was too i'm kind of glad that they took their time to show what hannibal was before he you know got put in jail or in how he got put in jail too. Like it shows that he's not, he's not perfect. You know, he's got a flaw to him still. He's old at this one. Yes. And this kind of draws back to, because Hopkins came back to show that he, he's, even though like in Silence of the Lambs, you see that he has like this respect for Clarice, like he wouldn't harm yeah. her. But in this, like he just has this really chilling animosity towards uh, Graham and I, we, we right. didn't get to see that with Clarice. And he gets kind of vicious verbally and attacking oh, yeah. Will. And it's just like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, like, like I have my notes. I analyzed that entire conversation between him and Will because I figured they were trying to try and go for a parallel between the one that happened with their first meeting, Clarice and Hannibal's first meeting, and then this one when they first meet in the cell. And... The first line he says to Will is the same terrible aftershave you wore in court. Like, he just starts insulting him right away. Like, I almost feel like it's kind of something that he wouldn't say. He's not trying to insult the guy, you know? Mm-hmm. It feels like a really weird thing that for him, for his first line to be, you know? I believe he says something similar, not, not his first line, but something similar to Clarice talking about her perfume or something yeah, like that. Yeah, he does. So I, I can does. see they're really trying to draw it back, but... I do have an issue with this scene because it doesn't feel right for Hannibal to give in to Graham because Hannibal always yeah. seems in control. That just seemed – it seemed weak on his part. It just seemed really surprising, especially after because he's like, well, you think you're smarter than me because you caught me. And then Graham's like – then he just plays right into it because Graham just tricks him. Not He doesn't trick him. He's like, all right, well, fine. I'm walking away. And then Hannibal's like, wait, I'll look at it. It just didn't seem right. I understand that Graham is seasoned FBI, whereas Clarice was not. That's why Hannibal wouldn't cooperate with Clarice at first. But uh, that just didn't work for me. 
Ed Norton does not seem smarter than... And he only caught him by accident. Right. Okay, I get it that they have a past together and that Graham understands where Hannibal was going when he talks to him. The problem is we never get to see that in this movie. They never show us that Graham completely understands where Hannibal was going to go with the situation. And he was able to override that and make it so he can go. The situation moves. The conversation, the conversation between the moves where he wants it to go, not where Hannibal wants it to go, which is where we saw in Sounds of the Lambs. That's a cool dynamic. I like that. Like we get to see how Hannibal reacts. No, not only reacts to the situation, but how someone can get behind that and then control that, you know, but it's not developed enough here that I feel like it, that feels believable, you know, or right. Because like, okay, even here in my notes, um, every time he makes a change, every time the guy or every time Will makes a change in the conversation, Hannibal just immediately just insults him. Right. And it doesn't feel like Hannibal Lecter would do something like that though. It feels kind of out of character because he's smarter than that. He's not some guy who just, bring you down just because he's going to insult you to make this conversation go the conversation go the way he wants it to go he's going to he's going to find a way around that and then make you trip over your own words and next thing you know you're going the way that he wants to go rather than what you're thinking it that's that's what Hannibal would do but it just feels so weird in this one where it, it feels like Hannibal is just going to insult the guy so that way he can have something to say you know yeah i do see kind of a character arc with Hannibal in this because it's like you said yeah and like I said, it doesn't feel natural for him to, because it almost looks like he has tears in his eyes. And one in this scene, towards the end of the scene, and I was like, well, this yeah. seems this doesn't seem right. Especially doesn't seem right giving in to him. But eventually he does kind of maneuver him. Hannibal maneuvers Will. Will has to keep coming back to him. He maneuvers him the way he wants to go. And I was glad to see that. Um, I was excited to see him back in the cell. The scene really yes. doesn't start off on the right foot with me. But the lecture scenes after this are are fairly decent, I would say. Not yeah, to the caliber of Silence of the Lambs, though. No, no, I would say not even close. I feel like the ones in Silence are just so much more effective than this ones are. Than these ones are. They they are, and the the film, of course, continues in the same way Manhunter does. Very very yeah. similar. Uh, Will climbs the tree, and I'm really glad he didn't scream his lines again like he did in the '80s version, which was so <laughs> cheesy. Yeah. Yeah, but, and okay, yes. I do want to take the time to talk about the colors because yeah. in this scene and the, the next scene alone, there's a like the color palette of this movie is very weird. Like, okay, compared to the, uh, the other films and especially Sons of the Lambs, like, okay, Sons of the Lambs, like it was meant to be dark and it's kind of got this bluer-ish tone to it, but it also has a lot of yellow in there too. Yeah. This one's just all blue. For whatever reason, they just chose this color blue for whatever reason. And it's kind of annoying because that's like the only thing that that's the only color they use for this throughout this entire film is the color blue. And I get it because blue is supposed to be a cold color meant, you know, it's just like kind of like a jaded ish feel of the movie. But I want some more than that. I want more than just the color blue, you know? Well, okay. This makes me think of the color palette makes me think of the ring. Yeah. It was a lot like the ring. The color was very much like that. And I do say Manhunter was um, the cinematography I, I liked in Manhunter and the choice of colors, because the colors were pretty drastic sometimes in Manhunter, if you remember right. Like, I believe they actually used filtered, colored filtered lenses um, yeah, with certain scenes. Right. Whereas this is very blue, and um, they're... Yeah, it works. I think it's almost a little too, like, in the audience's face, like, this is a bleak movie. 
Whereas I yeah. I think back to Prisoners, which we love, which is very dark and rainy, but it does also inject some of those yellows and just more of those kind of brighter colors, but in still kind right. of like a dark, bleak way. So like like a lamp from uh, like in the apartment in Prisoners from right. from working and stuff, or just like a low hanging lamp light that yellow works. Whereas in this, it is very bleak and. I feel like they kind of right. did that a little bit in Hannibal. If you, I don't know, do you? Yeah, it kind of had that bleakness, that that blue bleakness to it. Going with the prisoners, they not only used their the color palette to portray the mood of the movie, but they also used the setting and the weather to do that as well. They kind of did the same thing in uh, Manhunter and kind of in Hannibal, but. This one, I feel like they almost, a lot of times they kind of just skip the setting and it's just, oh, if it's color, then it'd be fine, you know? And it's like, they don't, they don't build the mood like it should be to, to match the tone. It's, it's weird. It's kind of, it's weird. It's all over the place. Sure. And I, it's kind of a big decrement for the movie too, because I wanted this to be good, yeah, you know? I agree. I agree. But this is a question I have for you because you finished yes. Manhunter and I didn't. Right. Is, is do we know about Dollar Hyde Nursing Home or anything of his past with his crazy grandma? Is that in Manhunter? Does he live in a big giant nursing home? Yeah. No, okay. I don't think he lives I don't think he lives in a nursing home. I know he lives in a like a big house. Right. But I think we okay, I do believe we hear some exposition, if I remember right, about the grandma. But we never hear the dialogue between them, which is what we hear in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I believe if I'm correct, the main character gets information about the grandma about Dollar High. That's how they find him, and, they, and that's how they get to those house because they find stuff, they have information about him, kind of in the same way they have in this one, except he doesn't own the the color Lux, if I remember right. It's been a while since I've watched the movie, but okay. it's a bit. There's there are differences between this one and Manhunter that like storytelling differences, right. but. Essentially, for the most part, they're still on the same track as Manhunter. But yeah, that's that's one difference that I think I noticed. There wasn't any dialogue that we hear between the grandma and Dollar Hyde. Okay, I didn't I didn't think so. Uh, I didn't know. I guess because I quit watching it because they took forever to give us anything about Dollar yeah. Hyde in um, Manhunter. So I right. didn't I didn't really know anything about his past or about this grandma thing. But right. it's very reminiscent of Psycho. Yes, it, it very much is. I got that big psycho vibe. Yeah, it's very much like Psycho, where uh, there's some kind of weird incestuous relationship going on. And I yeah. did like, as it's going through the house, I like that they brought in... I believe they allude to Dollar Hyde and show him earlier in this than in Manhunter. Yeah, a lot earlier in this one than they did in Manhunter. Which is the right choice, because Manhunter just held off on the villain for way, way too long, I felt. Right, I mean... I kind of like that they hold off on the villain. Honestly, I think I like Manhunter's portrayal of, of before they get to Dollar Hyde before this one because in Manhunter we take our time to explore the villain yeah. and understand okay where is where exactly is this guy you know get the psychoanalysis on him and then at one then when we get enough about him then we get to see the guy in person and see his face whereas this one we don't see his face but we see him at first we I think especially in our intro, I didn't really like the introduction to Dollar Hyde in this one because we get all that dialogue between the grandma and him and him thinking of all that stuff, you know, and whereas in Manhunter, it's all just explained to us and we get to see those actions as it's, as it's being explained to us and we kind of understand, okay, this is where this guy came from because this happened, not, oh, 
you're a bad boy. You know, all this dialogue that he's had in his head and stuff. And it's really, it's not even read that well. And it's really kind of cheesy. And that's the only thing we get behind the, the motivation of his character is just that, that small, that small interaction. Right. Which is, I feel like Manhunter does a better job at that. At, like, at portraying Dollar Hyde, I'd say. E, well, I can't really speak to it because I didn't get to see enough of Dollar Hyde's character. Right. What I saw was creepy. This, I mean, this this Dollar Hyde does seem creepier, I think. And I'll, I'm taking the opposite stance because I did like this introduction to Dollar Hyde. Because the other introduction to him, we just saw the pantyhose on his head and he talked about what he's becoming and he's becoming the Red Dragon. And this kind of... I did like the voices because it did make me think of Psycho. Like, maybe he's... Okay, I don't believe this is the case, but it kind of made me think, like, he's he could be doing the voices with his multiple personalities or something. But yeah. it was very, very disturbing what was being said. I don't even want to go there with what was being said between the grandma and Dollar Hyde. Yeah. Because that was super upsetting. But I have in my notes, what in the what the bleep is she talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so I will say it's a very creepy introduction. Um, it's all cliche having this cl- uh, dilapidated, rundown house, uh, the kind of crazy incestuous relationship. But right. it freaked me out, and I'm glad we kind of got to see a little bit more of him. Um, you think he's wearing those are his, his grandma's dentures? Those gra- his grandma's teeth? I guess they could be. I mean, he has more than one. So. Okay. And I do like how he's kind of like tracing Hannibal's face, and we sh- we see that he admires him because we didn't really see that in. Yeah, Hunter. I like that they bring. I like that they bring a better, a bigger uh, emphasis on the relationship between Dollar Hyde and Lecter in this film. I do too, and I will. Like I said, there it's it's kind of cliche everything surrounding Dollar Hyde, but yeah. it. It's kind of working for me because I feel like we kind of need something I can relate to, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, but I I definitely understand your standpoint, and I definitely am frustrated that the little exposition we get, dialogue between uh, the grandma and the grandson, that's all we get for his past. And it's like, seriously, you can't, like, introduce, like, introduce a character and then completely not develop him. Yeah, then that's what I like. That's where I like Manhunter's better because they spend the first half of the film exploring this this man called Dollar Hyde and who exactly he is and what exactly is going on, you know. Yeah. And so they spend the first half of the film discussing him, and they still spend parts of it after would be when we're introduced to him discussing that too. But when we are introduced to him, it feels like it's the right time to introduce him because now we've had all this explanation, time to put a name to a face, you know. Yeah. Well, and that makes sense. I agree because this did jump into it quicker and it did re reorder yeah. some scenes, which I thought was interesting. So right, but and and just overall, there's a there's a big pacing uh, difference between this one and Manhunter. This one's paced a lot faster than Manhunter is, which I Manhunter's a bit about. slower. Yeah, I yeah I would I'm gonna say that I did like the pacing of this one better than Manhunter because it kept me engaged, whereas Manhunter I had to keep making sure I was paying attention. Exactly. So next we have Will walking into the room and going to talk to uh, our boy Lecter, which was really weird because he's like chained to the ceiling. I did. I I thought that was kind of 
interesting because it, yeah it's, it's kind of cool he, he is chained and that's how he gets his exercise 30 minutes a week he gets to walk around and exercise yeah. so i thought that was that was kind of okay. interesting yeah i missed i missed that part that he has exercise oh, yeah. and that's why he's chained i was like why are we here why is he chained to the ceiling yeah you he know. said well uh, I he's like i only get 30 minutes a week hurry it up talk to me about it okay i guess i guess that makes sense but when Will enters the building and and Hannibal Lecter starts like walking toward him and then he's walking toward the Hannibal Lecter and they're trying to build the tension and stuff like that and then he just stops and he's being like he's being pulled from the chain because he can't walk past this certain point. I was like, good one. That was real scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I Okay, and and it's at this point also where I I don't really like Will. I'm not connected to him. I don't really care. Yeah. I don't think Norton is doing his best acting job. So, he really isn't. Yeah. And it's just in this scene where I'm just like, okay, I'm not really getting not really getting the character. But I do like right. when Hannibal says, um, blah blah blah, what you call my crimes. That shows to Hannibal what he did wasn't committed a what he what he did he doesn't view as criminal so he's like what you call right. crimes like he has some kind of different version of the truth that truth isn't yeah. just how it is it just that shows he is um warped and he doesn't understand what he was doing was evil and wrong right and that kind of i kind of even puts makes it even scarier honestly because if Hannibal doesn't know what he's doing is wrong then you know what does he think is you know exactly and I don't understand why Hannibal. Did you notice he started talking really southern all of a sudden? Yeah, he got like this western accent or whatever, and it's like, what? I wrote that in my notes. Like, stop. Why the western accent? I don't understand. I, I think he did that in Silence of the Lambs, but that's because Clarice was trying to cover up her accent. Yeah, which made sense. But this was just out. Of, this was nowhere, and I was like, uh, that. Is yeah, it, it kind of came out of nowhere too. Yeah, it really is, and it's also really chilling how he alludes to Dollar High's next crime. Right. Yeah. Right. But did you also notice we got the black guy back? From the... In the yeah. S- in the cell? The prison? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. We did. The yeah. black nurse guy? That was kind of fun. We get the scene again with uh, Hannibal making a call. I still don't understand it. Okay. In Manhunter, it portrayed it better. Because we actually see Hannibal open up the phone and then rewire it so we can talk to the operator. However unbelievable it is, we at least see him, you know, do something. Whereas yeah. this one, we just say him hang up the phone, push it so many times, and next thing you know, he's talking to somebody. I, I know. Like, how did he even get there, thought, you know? Is he sending a Morse code message? That's what I was thinking, too. I was like, is he just sending Morse code? Cheek, cheek but codes. But it doesn't ever tell us. Cheat codes. A, B, B, A. Maybe, maybe. Up, up D-pad, <laughs> down D-pad, you're in. You unlocked it. You unlocked yeah, he, the operator. He <laughs> He puts in the Konami code <laughs> into the phone. the operator. <laughs> That's funny. No, yeah. So, I don't know. I, I like Manhunters better because we get him, we see him hotwire the phone. And the next thing you know, he's talking to the operator. It's like, okay, that's unbelievable. But I guess, you know, he did something. Yeah. This one, not so much. <laughs> he just kind of just pushes the, he just pushes it until it, the next thing you know, he's talking to some somebody. Right. So, they don't really, they don't have any audio feed in his room. Apparently. Yeah, once again, the question remains, are they not monitoring the call? I mean, he's in, like, the most <laughs> maximum prison ever. They, Yeah, they're going to be monitoring him with more than just right. video. they got to have audio, so... Right. Ah, hmm. I mean, they did allude They did allude that they can't look into his personal effects because of the law. This, I don't know if this falls under, falls under that, Maybe but... it does. Maybe you're right. He has some kind of legal right to some 
Yeah, right. I don't know. Maybe this. I mean, that was mentioned in the movie somewhere, but I guess that's you know. All right, but this lady and Dollar Hyde haven't met before, unlike in the other one, right? Yeah, in the other one, they they knew each other, and this one they haven't met yet. Well, and this scene comes way before then in Manhunter, right? Well, no, no, no. This one's pretty late into Manhunter because oh yeah, yeah, we were introduced to Dollar Hyde when he kills the reporter, and then. A little bit after that, we get we see him walk into the dark room, and that's when they have this mm-hmm. scene essentially. So yeah, everything Dollar Hyde this movie is portrayed a lot later in Manhunter than it is here. It it is, and I thought the order of scenes was interesting how they chose to. Yeah, I think they just wanted to get the audience more associated with them. Yeah, they're they're pumping out a lot more information a lot faster here than they are Manhunter. Right, and okay, it's in Manhunter. It's right after this she pets the tiger. And that's when I shut it off. Yes. So it's kind of around this, I guess. I mean, a lot more had already occurred in Manhunter when I shut it off. But at this point, I'm not super invested. But I'm not right. like, all right, this is, I just, I don't care. I'm going to turn it off. Blech, you know? Right. Right. Like, there's enough here where I'm interested to see what's going to happen next. Because it's moving at a pretty fast pace compared to Manhunter. Right, it is. So. Yeah, I do, and I do like that better than Manhunter. That this one has a faster pace, and it's keeping me interested longer. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah, we'll we'll get to when I, when we'll get to the end. I'll, I'll express my feelings between the two. But yeah, <laughs> I think she's doing a good job playing a blind lady. Emily. Yeah, Emily, I think she What's is. her name? Emily Watson. Yes, Emily okay, Watson. Yeah, she does a pretty good job as a blind lady, and it creeps me out mm-hmm. that she's riding with the serial killer. That's scary. Yeah, that. Yeah, that's that's okay. Weird. <laughs> does he start licking her fingers? No, he almost did. And he almost bit him in his, or like to remember, he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. You know, like he, he was, he could, he shows the struggle between, you know, him and okay. wanting or not. I thought he did. And I, uh, that didn't make any sense, but okay. He didn't, I guess. Okay. I like the scene where we see Lecter in his holding cell with his mask on. That was creepy. Yeah. When they find his note, they have to clean his room and they find the note. Yeah. Right. And okay. This confused me. Okay. Did he rewrite the note in toilet paper? Because he got it from Dollar Hide, right? Yes. Did he rewrite it in toilet paper and then wrote it up? Is that what happened? Because they find it, the guy finds it in the toilet paper. Right? There's a scene where he's like doing something, some worker, and then yeah. he sees it and he pulls it out. Did I miss something? I didn't question it until right now. Because <laughs> I was thinking about that during the movie. I was like, did he just rewrite it? And what? I, I'm confused because it seems rather unlikely. Because okay, in Manhunter they had the slip of paper, well, right? No, no, he didn't rewrite it because it has dollar dollar hides bite marks. Right? On yeah, it. that's why I was confused because it was in the roll of toilet paper. That's where they found it. So he mailed the toilet. Paper I don't. I don't know. It never. It, ex- it never explains. Okay, in Manhunter, this is what happens. Mm. <laughs> in Manhunter. Mm, okay. He gets a letter that's from Dollar Hyde, and he scratches part of it out, and then you know that's where they rip, and that's where they find it, and they investigate. You know that's where the investigators look at the letter and know that big scene, and that makes sense because he got the letter from Dollar Hyde. Um, I can't remember if he finds it in toilet paper in this one or what happens, but somehow it gets in toilet paper, and then they're going after it. You know that they clean the clean the cell, whatever, and they do that whole thing. So, yeah. I'm pretty sure in Manhunter it was in toilet paper also, though. No, it was like a slip of paper that they found in, a, I think, a book. It was in a book, yeah. 
Okay. Well, I have no idea. <laughs> I just, from what I remember, it was in a book is where they found it. They were cleaning it and then they it, slipped out. Right, but it wasn't the whole note. No, it was. But there, because there's this part missing. Yeah, same with the toilet paper. There was part of the note missing that was scratched out and then ripped. So either they do offer an explanation and we both missed it, and they just did a terrible job explaining it, and they're hoping that the audience would just. <laughs> To, not to think not about, think it, about it. it, I guess, because because well, it's like you said, it is moving at a pretty fast yeah, pace. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it is. And there's kind of the sense of urgency, and they're just hoping you overlook the fact and you just immediately focus on the note, what's in the right. note, and what's going on. Right. And will Hannibal figure out that they found the note? So I think they're really glossed. They glossed over it pretty well. Yeah, yeah. I they would got say. the they, scene they, down, they but I mean, getting there was a problem. Yeah, they, it's a plot. Yeah, hole. and yeah. they fly by a helicopter. Like what? <laughs> Does that work? They they move at warp speed. In this yeah, movie. like when they're just yeah. moving from place to place, like, and I'm like, gotta oh, have it back the, within no. the hour, you know? <laughs> I know, I know exactly. They did all this stuff where I'm like, how close is the jail to? I mean, I know Clarice travels there, but still, I don't know. And he's going down to Florida with his family, and they're just getting everywhere really fast in this movie. Yeah, and I'm like. Like when Will gets off the phone when he hears about the message, you know, and I'm like, where are you going? Like, how are you, how are you getting to your family that quick? Yeah, I, yeah they know? move so fast in this movie. Like, they don't even give any explanation for it. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> it is. My goodness. And then at the end of the scene when they're figuring out, like, when they crack the code or whatever and they have the verses and stuff. And it's yes. like, hmm, I see. You know, the Asian guy is looking at it. He's like, hmm, I see. This doesn't make any sense. These, these chapters aren't even in these books immediately just goes through that. I was like, wait a minute. You know, you, you just know that off the top of your head that these books in the Bible, know. these many chapters, because in Manhunter, they check. They check to see if that verse is in the Bible, and it's not. They did. And that's how I figured out, wait a minute, these don't exist. It's a code, you know. Yeah. Oh, and Okay, you're right. And I thought the same exact thing, because I, just like in Manhunter, I thought it was cool that they used the Bible right. code. And I did not think about nothing seemed odd like wait a minute that book doesn't have that many chapters to me right. i've read the whole bible cover to cover i've i've read it a number of times you right know? we're both familiar with it but i know and i'm like okay either the bible is used like a lot for codes or something yeah. and this or this guy is really knows his bible well because he just just right off the top of his head and i'm like oh right. yeah see in man this is kind of where i like the pacing in manhunter better because it takes its time to explain how they came to that conclusion, you know? Like, oh, there aren't this many books in the Bible because we checked the Bible and it's not there. Verse whatever doesn't exist because it only has this many chapters. Right, I, I do like that. So it makes sense. <laughs> in that sense, it makes sense, you know? In Manhunt, in this one, yeah. they take these go so fast that they don't give enough time to explain a bunch of stuff. And it kind of leaves us in the dust, right. you know? It's like, oh, you just know that. That's fine, I guess. Right. And the other thing I don't understand is why would this newspaper publish uh, serial killer notes? I don't no. get why these newspapers do that. They did it in Zodiac. They do it. I guess they just do it. And it's like, right. don't do it. You're, you're just stupid. Right. I mean, okay. I think in this one, it was going for the personals, which is where they were communicating. I, there's a throwaway line that they talked about that. But I, I don't I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know either. I don't know. And I don't like the dialogue that follows when the Asian guy figures out the code. He said, I solved the code. You need to know what it says right now. Yep. Okay, thanks for wasting my time. Just say it. Yep, just like this is if you've ever watched Cinema Sins, it's that 
Yep. That one, that one uh, cliche that he has. You need to come see this right now, cliche or whatever. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I know. I put it in my notes. I said, thanks for saying that and not actually telling right, us. Right. Exactly. I mean, that's kind of important, but uh, just wait till you get here, you know. I know. That was dumb. There, I, I was shocked. There's just some really dumb moments in this yeah. movie. We haven't got to one of the real dumb ones right. yet. And, and the, you know, he finds out that, oh, crap, it's, he gave my address away, you know, so he's freaking out yeah. and Will Graham goes back to his house, right? Right. This scene blew my mind because it was so <laughs> absurd because, okay, the mom hears, her mom hears something go bump in the night. She's like, oh, no, what's happening? You know, like as if something bad, as if she knew something bad was going to happen and then turns out, yeah. oh, it's just my kid. Bam! It's just a random helicopter comes out of nowhere, yes. and it's just like, how did, wh- how did she not hear that? You know, and then come down a whole convoy of cop cars. It's like, how did she not hear all of this? I oh, know, my I goodness! Know. And this, this is the film trying to build suspense, and it really doesn't work. It's terrible oh, at building suspense. Yeah, in this. it it really is. Like this doesn't work at all. I'm sorry. Yeah. I okay. It's trying to be a jump scare, and it doesn't work. Because that's not scary. <laughs> uh. right. Well, yeah, I agree. I, I put in my notes. I was like, this scene is kind of stupid. Um, and then the other thing is that when they introduced it in Manhunter, I thought, oh, man, that is so scary. That would make for a great climax. Will's got to, it's a race against time. He's got to get there to stop Dollar right. Hyde from killing his family. And they they totally tricked us in Manhunter, which was much better, by yes, the way. Yes, I would agree with that. Because he's like, mom, there's someone outside. And the mom is coming, and she's like, she like sees like a light outside, and she's looking around. She's scared, and then then it get, then it got stupid because the officer's like, "Ma'am, are you okay?" Yeah. I was like, "Oh crap!" You yeah, it got kind of hammy. <laughs> so okay, and I thought this was so. Uh, I was like, "Oh man, they're doing this again." I know how this is gonna go. Don't don't cheat me with like this really cool climax idea, and then not follow through on it. But I'm thankful they do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But back to the scene, um, it's it's a dumb false scare with cheesy music with the boy slowly opening the door and yeah. the helicopter magically appears. Like you would hear a helicopter coming unless it's one of those stealth Blackhawks used in the Osama bin Laden. Right, but raid. even then, but I'm pretty even sure then you would at least hear it because when the light turns on, then all of a sudden magically the helicopter sound just appears. It's like, what? <laughs> I know the light, the light just like all of a sudden, then it's like, boom, just like shazam it's there and yeah i was like well this is that's where i was like no you you can't you can't just do that (laughs) that's not how that works well and then right and then he gets him away and i said the same thing about the two characters i said in manhunter i don't feel any chemistry between will and mom right so okay in manhunter they at least try and develop something they don't even try in this one there's no there's nothing there right there's the father-son moment in manhunter which I said felt like an eighties right, and this scene, yeah, exactly. <laughs> in this scene, in uh, in this movie, it they don't take any time to build like they like the mother, like the way the wife and Will, they at least have a conversation, but we never get anything between the son and the dad like we do in Manhunter. No, yeah, that was that was disappointing. It, There's no relationship. Yeah, chemistry with and then movie. it kind of just deflates the scene because he never cared about it. The movie never shows us that he really actually cares about his family like they did in Manhunter. You know. Yeah, you're right. I do say that I do like the grayness and bleakness of the farm that yeah. we're on. I think that's nice imagery that like adds to the film, but I really wish they could have utilized it I, yeah. more in a better way. I totally agree. 
because it really doesn't do much other than that. I was like, don't introduce like a cool setting and cool imagery and then that's it. Right. I don't right. know. It was just I was disappointed with that. Yeah. So And then and it, and it's stupid. Are you what are you going to talk uh, about? The shooting scene? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> There's no recoil on that gun. It it was weird. That scene was stupid. Why was it there? Uh, okay. No, I I'll tell you why it was there. And this is the one thing that I'm I'm really kind of really annoys me with this movie. There are so many scenes and I can name yeah. them where it is setting it up for something later on. Right. It's like look look what we're doing. It's like super heavy-handed foreshadowing. Okay, I okay? see it now, yeah. Shoot Yeah, she it's he's teaching her how to shoot, so when he says shoot him at the end, she can do it. She does a perfect shot or whatever. And when um, the blind lady, Reba, is going into Dollar Hyde's home, she's counting the number of steps. And then when she needs to escape, she remembers how many steps she counted. And I'm trying to think there's other scenes where it's like they're setting it up in the first act so they can fulfill it in the third act, yeah. although it's not fulfilling and it's stupid. And we don't need to know yeah. that. We don't need to know that, this That's stuff. the problem, though. These aren't main characters. These are side characters that they're building this up to and then trying to pay it off later, which doesn't work. Because we don't care, we don't know much. We don't know enough about him for us to care. This should be. A, they should do something with Will and not like you know the wife or the blind girl. Because with them, they're just side characters, and Will has nothing. There's nothing satis. Okay, this is the problem with Will in this movie. There's nothing satisfying about Will, because we never. At, at one point in the movie, and sure. I think we're getting close. At one point in the movie, it become Will just kind of just drops off the face of the earth and he's gone. And he only shows up a couple of times up until the climax. And we don't get to learn anything new about Will at all past a certain point in the movie. And he's supposed to be the main character. So it kind of makes right. me wonder, okay, who's the main character really? Cause I guess it's, I guess it's dollar hide, but he's the villain. So I'm confused now because now there's nothing satisfying about Will. We don't try to do anything satisfying about Will. And then when we try to develop a character, it's all dollar hide, but he's the villain. And I don't understand. <laughs> I 100% agree. 100% agree because I know Dollar Hyde, we, I can't attach to him at all except just feel really sad for him that he he's so messed yeah. up and he really needs help. But Will is just such a flat character and there is really no more character development. Right. Um, yeah. No, I, I completely agree. So, and we don't, and we don't even have the, like the relationship, like the hostility between uh, Freddie and Will. Yeah. The reporter and Will, which just added more to it because... Oh, okay, and here's the other thing that Manhunter, I'll give kudos to. Manhunter showed how much of a struggle it was for Will to go back and talk to Hannibal. Yes. And that he was... They they brought it up. They brought it up in a newspaper clipping, I'm pretty sure, in the very beginning. Right. They It showed, like, Will Graham quit the force, and he might have... I don't... Maybe... Now I'm questioning it. I know he quit the force, but he might have had to like have some psychiatric treatment. He did a Manhunter, but that was a much bigger point. That was a much bigger yes. character. Um, that was okay. That was brought up Manhunter. better in Manhunter because they did talk about that more than once. And he said, "I do not want to go talk to that guy," and tried not to go talk to him. They didn't do that one of this yeah. in here. They didn't, and that was like I feel like that's a character opportunity that's missed out. Yeah, and they, they, that develops. Yeah, that develops the relationship between Lecter and the main character better because we know. That he can do some serious damage to him, Lecter can, and we've and we've seen it. So I mean, it just it wasn't developed as as good here, you know, than in Manhunter, which is sad because that was a really good plot point that I really liked. I even stated I think I like it better than in in Silence because, you know, they have a past together. 
rather than de- rather than developing one. They don't even tr- they don't even use that here at all. They don't. I know when they they kind of used it in the very first scene, and then it got dropped. Yeah. They just became he became cool with going to visit him, right? And they worked together very easily. Whereas in Silence of the Lambs, it was quid pro quo. Right. You have to do something for me. I do something for you. I have to learn. Whereas this, he's just kind of like, Will, you need to come on, open up your eyes, look for it. Yeah. He just really gives it to him way too Yeah. I, I totally agree. But we get to see a uh, gruesome scene, a gruesome kill, I guess you could say. Oh, no. Which, that... yeah, I've got some issues with it too. I will say it was a little more... Uh, it grabbed me a little more because he's in this creepy home and he's glued to the chair instead of handcuffed. Also, I thought he was naked, but he just has his underwear right. on. So, and uh, but the scene before that, I will say, when he like picks him up through the car door, that was a little stupid. I expected him to like pull him through the window like uh, Freddy in the end of the Nightmare on Elm Street, like a rag doll pulling him through. So, thankfully, that didn't happen. I did like it in better and in Manhunter, and I'm sure this is completely confusing our listeners, <laughs> since I didn't like Manhunter, and I gave it a not recommend, but I'm praising it, actually, right. in this movie. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, this movie does do things better than Manhunter, I will say yes. that. Yes, and uh, we're trying, like, so, we're, I'm trying to point out the ones I, the things I like better, like, for one, the pacing, and there's a couple yeah. of things I'll probably mention later on, but, okay, my problem with this scene, though, is that we're introducing Philip Seymour Hoffman again, who has... Who actually has not been in the movie at all up until ever, ever since that one scene in the beginning, and then now, and then he dies, and that's it. In Manhunter, they at least tried to right. develop the guy, you know, that that character a bit more, and show that he's against our main character of Will. And this one, he's in one scene before just to show that hey, he exists, and another scene after, and this is then he dies. Well, the other problem is, is the whole point of the interview was to bait Dollar Hyde right. out to capture him. Which was, I will say, um, it was kind of cheesy in Manhunter, that slow motion running scene. Right. We clearly know it's not him. But that that whole element is dropped from this movie. Because you, you hear Harvey Keitel's character say, make sure you get the the name in the background of the building. You know, so he knows that Will Graham is living right here. But then it, it's like Dollar Hyde doesn't care. He just goes after the reporter and makes him do the recording, which is similar to the other one. Right. But that whole kind of plot uh, element falls apart. Yeah, honestly, that that's the problem because go like that whole scene. You know, just even getting there is just a big problem because okay, here we go. <laughs> In Manhunter, <laughs> this was our introduction to Dollar Hyde, and it doesn't tell us who Dollar Hyde is until a little bit later in the scene. But we are able as an audience to piece together. Okay, this is Dollar Hyde, right? We don't get to see his face. Yeah. But we know there's Dollar Hyde, and then we see what he can do later. It's a bit too late for this film because they've already introduced sure. who Dollar Hyde is. And it's a problem because now the scene for me isn't as isn't nearly as effective because I know who the guy is. I know what he looks like, you know. Whereas in this one, he's just being menacing and being really weird. And it kind of deflates the scene yeah. for me. Yeah, I I would agree with that because I did like, I really liked the slow pan up in Manhunter because it's like, oh my gosh, who is this guy? And it also shows he's really tall. He's just so kind of foreboding and he's really tall and we don't see his face. He has that weird pantyhose over his face, you know, and I like how he kind of like walks him through the slides and, and says this and he does it in this one. Yeah. But 
when we first are introduced to him, he's got the stuff, the the mask or whatever over his face. Right. I don't believe he ever puts it back on. No, he does not in this one. And it's Which weird. I kind of would have liked, maybe, if he would have put that on. Right. I mean, okay, that was our introduction to Dollarhide, and we knew it was Dollarhide. But he wasn't doing anything other than just working out and thinking back to the the conversations with his grandma. But right. in this, but then later on, we see him, you know, attack Philip Seymour Hoffman. Whereas in Manhunter, this is our introductory scene. It's about halfway through the movie, and we get to this point, and then we see Dollar Hyde, and then that's our introductory scene. And now we know what he's capable of, and that makes it scary. Problem with this one is he's just being weird, and it's kind of hard to relate to the guy, or he's, you know, curious to see what okay well, what can he do because it's just it's just weird stuff like gluing him to the chair has a tattoo on his back of the red mm-hmm. dragon like that's that's weird like it's not scary per se like, i guess i'm kind of freaked out but i it was just so much more effective in manhunter because it, i feel like they did it better they talked the guy up and then here we are now we're at this point let's show you what he's really capable of you know and this one, maybe not so much. It's still weird, and it's really and it's pretty effective in the, the way that they execute the scene. But there's just so much more to Manhunter when it ca- when it got to this point that I felt that it was more effective, and I felt that I was learning more about the movie or about this character than I do now in this scene, which is almost the exact same as it is in Manhunter. Yes, I would agree. I I do say the scene is still kind of scary yeah because i don't know you're just not really quite sure what he's gonna do and i like the line when he says i am not a man but each being that i change makes me more than a man you will witness i will say ralph fiends's character is really lacking the creepiness of that guy in who played it in manhunter was so creepy yeah. and the like the cadence of his voice the soft-spokenness it's different because he is strong in Manhunter, but um, this dollar hide is supposed to be like a bodybuilder. Right. I mean, he doesn't look that massive, honestly. He is strong, but he's just not as—he's just not as creepy. He's just—he's just different. I don't know. Yeah, he's—I would agree. He's—he's li- he's missing that creepiness that the last dollar hide had, which is kind of sad because right. dollar hide is—I think—is a really freaky villain and. Um, especially in these movies, I feel like he could be used really well for the audience, not only to learn something from, but just also be a good villain just in general. Yeah, and I, I would say he, he is more just more of like a creepy, disturbed yeah. villain, honestly, than Buffalo Bill. But Buffalo Bill is still a better villain than this Dollar Hyde is. Right. And that's that's kind of the problem I have with this Dollar Hyde is that he feels really cartoony at times, which is hard for me to get behind him and understand him as a character because... In Manhunter, he was pretty serious. In this one, there are times when he's like screaming at himself because he wasn't want. Because later on in the film, he's like, "I don't want to take her. Don't let me take her." You know, stuff like that. And it's kind of, it's almost cartoony to a point where I'm just like, "Okay, you know, it's it's weird, but I'm not really into it." You know. Yeah, I agree. And the only other and the problem I also had was Freddie Lands, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I was actually kind of laughing. Because when he's crying, it was just like, okay, I just, you're not really selling me on yeah. your, on your fear. So I thought that was kind of, I was kind of laughing at that. I put, haha, he's crying and doesn't want to open his eyes. That sounds really mean, actually, and terrible. Right, right. You get what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I completely understand. 
I I wasn't surprised because I had seen the picture before of the back of his tattoo. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because in Manhunter's tattoo is way more minuscule, right? Yeah, it definitely is. It's not not this elaborate. <laughs> this is this is extreme mm-hmm. and he derives it from the William Blake painting of the great dragon and the woman clothed in the sun. Right. And it's just a really kind of terrifying scene because you're like oh my gosh this guy is insane he says i am the dragon which is representative of satan or the antichrist something like that in the book of revelation and so he literally i just know i just feel like he believes himself to be this satanic figure and he's changing his victims from human form and the reborn by his hands just totally messed up stuff totally nuts but I, I would really like to know more about his thought process and his mythology. But the movie, I feel the movie really doesn't give us any of that. Yeah, yeah, it really doesn't. And Manhunter definitely goes into that a lot more than this one does. But I do like the fact that they talk about the Red Dragon, like the like the picture and stuff a bit more in this one than they did in Manhunter. Because in Manhunter, yeah, they, they don't talk about it as very much as in this one. I think we see like maybe a glimpse of what the painting looks like. But in this one... Not only does he have it tattooed on his back, but we also see the painting at least like five or six times. So we get a good picture of what exactly the guy is trying to imitate, you know. Exactly. The one thing that I was disappointed with that I thought about at the very end of the movie, I don't believe it gives an explanation why he latches on to that concept of the dragon, what inspired him where he found it, what is the origins of that. Yeah. I mean, it just drops us right in the middle of this character, gives that weird um, backstory dialogue right. um, with him and his grandma, with the creepy shots of the house. But I was wondering, I was like, why is he so infatuated with the dragon? Is it something his grandma just brainwashed him into thinking? Because, okay, I understand she called him a beast. Right. And... Okay, and the number of the beast is 666. I don't know if... Because I understand that, um, from my understanding, the Emperor Nero in, like, around 70 AD or something, they had, like, some way of transferring letters to numbers. So his name transferred from letters to numbers did spell out 666. Right. So I don't know if maybe... That's why uh, Thomas Harris, the author of the novel, chose Francis Dollarhide. Maybe that turns out 66. I don't know. I just feel like there's a leap between calling someone a beast and then associating with the dragon of the Old Testament, William Blake's painting, and which was over 200 years old. Just I, just a bit of a leap, I'd say. <laughs> so I think there's kind of a plot gap there. Yeah, I... to accept. I'm trying to remember if uh, Manhunter explains this better. I think it does, if I remember right. But yeah, this one here in Red Dragon, it doesn't really explain very much as to why he chose red, the Red Dragon as his symbol. I mean, I mean, I guess it's like more of a literary sense or an allegorical sense of why he chose, you know. Right. But still, it's kind of, like you said, it's kind of a leap going from calling someone a beast to like, oh, I'm going to be representative of the devil, you know. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It does make me curious to read the book, though, honestly. Yeah. And see what is left out. And I'm also wondering if that Hannibal TV series, that like six episode story arc, which is quite a bit because those episodes are close to an hour. They're probably around. I don't know. They might be. Some of them might be an hour. 
in the 50 minute mark maybe right. 15 minutes shy but that's that's like a big adaption of the novel it's like a six hour mini movie mm-hmm. so they they might touch on it a lot more in that so i would like to know more because i just didn't like that aspect of the movie where they set up this really insane kind of cool kind of just totally um sad character yeah you know and they just don't go into his backstory as much as I feel they should have. Yeah. Then, like I said, that's kind of where Manhunter also takes the cake is that they at least try to ex- at least explain more about Dullerhide and, and stuff like that. Whereas here, they kind of leave him out in the dust a bit. Right. I probably missed that part of Manhunter since I shut it off. So yeah. Yeah. That's, why, that's why I'm not really remembering. I just remember a vague bit. And I do remember because Hannibal references the moon. Yes. And this and the yards, but I feel like in Manhunter, the moon and the yards were a much bigger deal, or at least they were made more clear to me. Yeah. And we saw like lunar phases on his wall of like pictures, and I think that was pretty much dropped in this movie. Hannibal just like, hey, here's something from the book. Yeah, they mentioned it like once or twice in here in Red Dragon about the moon and mm-hmm. stuff and how he only attacks when it's a full moon or something like that, you know. Um, but yeah, in Manhunter, it definitely was made a, a bit more clear. I would say because I remember it more than here, and we—I just finished watching this, so you know. I do say I—I I like. There's a great outside shot of the Dollar Hide home. We get some yes. really good uh, exterior shots. It's very creepy. Like I said, it's kind of cliche, of course, but I like that it's dilapidated. Whereas I believe in Manhunter, they were just—I understand Manhunter came out in the '80s, yeah. and therefore everything is like drenched in 80s atmosphere and vibes you know like decorations and clothing it's like okay right right nobody has their own individual style except the 80s style (laughs) (laughs) exactly but and okay if i remember correctly in uh manhunter we didn't see him bite uh freddy Mm-mm. it it showed his it showed like him biting but it showed like his feet and him like screaming and shaking his feet and then it cut away quickly and it showed the exterior of the house and screaming this shows it i was like oh yeah. my goodness this yeah. is and he's naked with the dragon tattoo and i'm just like oh wow yeah this this one does That's take it a, a step further than manhunter yeah. does in the violence i'd say <laughs> because yeah he does we do get to see him bite out his tongue or whatever he does to him yeah oh i that was i wasn't expecting that honestly yeah he neither was i him, and then he just out of nowhere and he just i don't get it very weird exactly yeah but we return again, of course, to Will Graham and Hannibal Lecter. Right. And this scene is also another scene that I feel they're trying to hearken back to Silence of the Lambs because Graham uh, proposes an offer to Hannibal, much like Clarice did, except she didn't have the authority to do that and she was making it up. But in this, yeah, um, it might be real. Right, yeah. And so. it, this, is this the last encounter they have together? think yes i think it is at least the last scene that they have together this is the last one where they talk to her yes not the last time we see hannibal right, yeah, but the yeah. last time they're together and i i actually thought this was a good scene i like how lector gets back in control and i think they had a good exchange right yeah it kind of shows that. that you know lector can still find a way around it at least right you know? Yeah, and this is the Lecter we know from Silence of the Lambs. Right. Not the one where he just gives in like that. Yeah. So I was I was pleased with their, what I'm pretty sure is their final scene together. Yeah, yeah, I was too. Okay, I've got a question for you, okay. Alan. 
what at this point in the movie what are you feeling what are your feelings are you really invested in this movie are you excited to see more how it ends or are you kind of indifferent to what's going on at this point in the movie i was it was a very weird state because i was like okay i'm interested to see what's going to happen a bit more interested than i was in manhunter but i i don't feel like this is better than manhunter in any sense of the word which is sad to say because we're not we haven't ended the movie yet you know and I was like, okay, maybe my, my thought process will change by the time the movie ends. Maybe there's something different here, you know, and um, I'll save that till we get there. But I was kind of disappointed because, you know, we don't get as much as we did with Dollar Hyde. We are missing Will. At this point, yeah, we're, at this point, we're, Will is hardly in this movie anymore. After, like, about halfway through it, he kind of disappears. So it's kind of like all these important characters that are supposed to be developed like they were in Manhunter, which is our, which this movie is a remake of, they're just missing here. And it's not as impactful, I would say. I, I'm interested and I w- I'm willing to see what's going to happen after this, but because the pacing is just so fast compared to Manhunter. But I mean, I'm also at the same time disappointed. So it's a very weird state because I was interested, yet at the same time I was disappointed to see where that this went the way it did. Yeah, I can understand that. I, I feel the same way. I'm feeling not very invested in the film. Yeah. But I felt the exact same way with Manhunter. That's why I shut it off. Um, I do, of course, I like Anthony Hopkins better in this. I'm I'm liking the way this is shot better. And at this point, I, I'm just like, why should I be watching Red Dragon instead of watching Silence of the Lambs? Right. Because clearly we've talked about the similarities. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of feel that way with these movies that we reviewed. I mean, Hannibal kind of changed it up, but they're just so recycled, they, honestly, it yeah. seems like. Yeah, they, they are. They get a bit recycled after a while because now we've seen, you know, the same tricks before, like with Hannibal messing with the phone. We know what he's going to do if you've seen Manhunter or, you know, like the conversations that Will and him have. We know that at least Hannibal, in the end, Hannibal is probably going to come out and he's going to win, you know. So, right. I mean, right. they do change it up a little bit, but just not enough. Like, not enough to keep it you know, new and fresh, you know. This this feels like almost, at times, it feels like a shot-for-shot shot remake from Manhunter. And it doesn't feel like they're putting anything in like new into it, you know. Or if they are, then they're, they're taking it a wrong direction. Right. And it also, and that's my that's my point exactly. And it also has enough of it that's trying to be like Silence of the Lambs. Right. With it's kind of like pacing and setting and character exchanges and etc. That I'm just like, okay, well, you're not really doing anything new to innovate right. and make a step up. Like, think back to the original Star Wars. It was great. Then with The Empire Strikes Back, it was, personally, I think, even greater. Yeah. And it, but they, because they innovated, they did new things. And Empire is still kind of gave you that feeling of the original Star Wars. And this is what... It's giving me the original feeling, but it's just not doing anything new enough right. to make me really excited. And be, because we talked about Silence of the Lambs, that is so incredible. And it's like, how do you top something that's nearly perfect? Right. And they're just not doing it for me with this movie right now. Right, exactly. I'm I'm, I'm the exact same way. It, it's kind of like what we talked about in Hannibal. You know, they just don't know their subject material. I mean, they know it at least a bit better in the sense of they can tell a good, they can try and tell a story that's already been told here because they're just doing a remake of a love, another movie. But it's just like, I mean, if you're going to go for something that's the prequel to 
one of the one of the greatest movies, you know, then you you need to you need to know what you're doing. And this movie kind of does, and I would say it knows what's doing better than what Hannibal did, but it doesn't reach that level of like they're, I feel like they're not even confident in what they're doing because they're giving like a, they're giving us like half serving like a half serving of what they're what they're trying to build to, up to be. So I mean, it's kind of like okay, you know. <laughs> right. Well, and The Phantom Menace was a terrible prequel. Yeah. To an incredible trilogy. And so that this is a prequel to Sons of the Lambs and like I I felt um Rogue One was an exciting prequel to Star Wars, right. but this just isn't, it's just not doing it for me. And I think also one of the problems is the characters, yeah. characters, filmmaking, and story. Those are my big three issues that are yeah. just not doing it for me. And that doesn't give me any hope in Hannibal Rising. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I don't want to oh, think about that. Yeah. Something else I don't want to think about is the blind lady, because I think she's annoying. Yeah, she's, uh, she's not like the last one, I'd say. I, I didn't get enough time to know the last one. Yeah, that's right. You you left before I you got to care. know her. But um, I mean, okay, I do like that they spend a bit more time on her. They do do that here. They spend more time with uh, with, with the blind. Did. Yeah, with the blind lady. Yeah, because I listened to the end of your review, yeah. and it seems like they did really kind of expand um, the relationship in 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 red dragon than in manhunter because manhunter just seemed very truncated they just like really cut it off and like really took out a lot of that yeah they i would say they did do a a better job at least expanding or introducing her earlier than in manhunter because in manhunter it was like halfway through the film when they introduced her you know whereas here Mm -hmm. it's a bit it's a bit before that so we get to know her a bit more by the time the movie ends which is nice because um i liked actually liked her character in the last one but i mean i wish i knew more about her and now here I like her character, but I mean, I want more out of her, and she's kind of annoying at times, you know. Right. Yeah, she was just doing things, um, which we already touched on before, like when she was counting her steps, and she's like, sorry, force of habit, which it it makes it even more annoying when you know they're just setting that up for the end, for her to figure out how to get out of the house. Right, yeah, the only reason why it's there is just for the ending, yeah. (laughs) I, I put in my notes, okay, we get it. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, why is she drinking beer like that? Yeah, I don't know. It's like, and this entire scene too is just really kind of just, like, I don't really know what's going to happen, you know. I do like, yeah, I do kind of like this scene because they kind of like, what is he going to do to her or whatever, you know, and there ends up being nothing bad, but it's just like, I do like how they portrayed it because the conflict that's going through him, you know. Yeah, it's really weird because it's like he's torn between do I kind of get off with my fantasies on this woman on yeah. the TV who I'm going to go murder? And it's almost like he gets these kicks from knowing that she's blind. So it's like I can have the best of both worlds because she's blind to my crime. So I can do it right in front of her and she won't even know it. Right. But I've also still got her with me and she is forward as can be. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, wow. a lot of red flags going up there. But I mean, okay, this is one thing that this movie didn't really explain very well. It mentioned it with the mirrors, with the eyes, which we'll get to later. But yeah. um, in Manhunter, the reason why he the relationship worked, or the reason why he went for the relationship with that woman, is because he wanted to feel he wanted to feel wanted. You know, that was his reason yeah. for doing the crimes in Manhunter, right? In this one, mm. 
he also wants an audience, which is kind of the same thing, you know, but at the same time, it doesn't portray that as Manhunter did. It doesn't give us this sense of that's why he's doing this or that's why he's with this girl. It kind of just gives us this, she just showed up and so now they're a thing now and he's torn between this girl and his and what he wants to do, you know, and it's kind of like, I mean, give me some more, you know, I want some more about that because that, that's what like deepened the character in Manhunter is because we knew his struggle and got to see how he was able, how, what was able to, uh, fend him off from that later, you know? Yeah. I, yeah, I didn't get that. Right. Yeah. You didn't make it that far. Movie. I, I didn't get that far in Manhunter, of course, but even in Red Dragon, it didn't give that to me. Yeah. Or if it was alluding to it, well, it went over my head. Yeah. It did not, so. it didn't, it wasn't as forward as Manhunter was. Okay. I guess I didn't understand because at this point in the movie, we had already seen him walking through his work right yes chromalex or whatever it's called yeah okay well i didn't know what that place was and that's why i was i was really confused on how he got these videos i figured it out later right but i didn't is that something that was made obvious or were you wondering that too or did you already know that okay um we see him go into the dark room in the chromalex and yeah. I didn't know that that's where he worked. We didn't explain that part, but I knew that's where that it was apparently a place he goes to a lot because they let him in the dark room, you know. And that's oh, where. Oh yeah, I remember that now. Yeah, and then that's where yeah, it, I didn't know he worked there. I yeah, didn't it didn't explain that part, or maybe I missed it too. But yeah, then later they've come to a revelation that oh, he works at the Chromalux. So I mean, yeah. Did did he work at the Chromalux at in Manhunter? Ah, uh, I don't know. That one wasn't explained. At least from what I can remember. <laughs> did he have any home videos in Manhunter? Yes, yeah, so. he did. did he? It's same. It's the same as in this one where he gets the uh, he gets the videos from the Chromalux. Okay. So my guess is he probably did work there, and I just maybe just missed it. But this mm. one, this one does explain that one a bit so, better. <laughs> so, so, like these families have their videos developed at this company. Yes, and then because he's the manager, he has access to all of those videos, so he can just get copies whenever he wants. Gotcha. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure in Manhunter he was taking videos. Yes, he was filming like in Sinister. Right. Yeah, he was copying them, okay. and then he was taking them. That's how they found out that the one that they had, the police, one that the police had, found out it was a copy from the development company, the Chromalux, or I think it was different in. Uh, Manhunter. So I think I think that's different between the two movies. That's a plot change. No, actually, it's the same. Oh, yeah, it's the same. It's just this. It's just Red Dragon explained it just a bit better than a Manhunter. Got, got. Yeah, still confusing a yeah. little bit. I mean, you but... also you didn't make it that far into Manhunter because that was towards the. I was right, right up before the climax is when they made it, made the revelation. So. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yep. Well, anyway, I'm kind of, I'm kind of surprised. That they slept together. Yeah, that also happens in Manhunter. It's okay. Yeah, she's she's not as forward in Manhunter, but yeah, she didn't appear to be. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just kind of surprised. It just, um, I don't know. He seemed like he had like, I'm sure he would have like incredible intimacy issues, and he was totally warped anyway. Right. I mean, we did get and... that dialogue between him and I think his his grandma or whatever that kind of shows what he was like, what he was going through. Mm-hmm. So, and this scene gets really freaky when he wakes up and he finds you're not there. And I thought, oh, crap, what the heck yeah. is she doing? Yeah. Wandering around. And he he's running around naked, which I didn't really 
that wasn't really fun to sit through <laughs> yeah i was yeah there came one scene where he turned up the stairs and I'm like okay <laughs> and it's really weird because he begins to hear the voice of the dragon right and he's like no i won't give her to you like she's a sacrifice or something you have to like sacrifice to the dragon right which if i i might be remember if i remember right in the book of revelation i think there was it involved sacrifices probably to the beast mm -hmm. and something of the kind so right and this does play out a little bit different in manhunter as well mm. this one this seems a lot longer and we do see the struggle which i actually do like this one a bit better than a manhunter because we see the struggle of him like no i'm not going to do it and then it gets to a point where he's about to blow himself away because he doesn't want to do it you know just so bad um but i mean he gets out of it and stuff and and stuff and I, but i put my notes like i said i i feel like there isn't as much tension here as the film thinks there is because this film is pretty, this scene is pretty tense, but I feel like there's supposed to be more here that the film's trying to give us, but they didn't execute it right. You know what I mean? Yes. I mean, like, when he put the shotgun in his mouth, yeah. that, like, made my jaw drop. Yeah. Because I was like, whoa, what the heck? I did not expect. I didn't ex I didn't think he was suicidal. Right, right. Homicidal, of course. But, so, that was kind of tense, I guess. Um, It was really weird to see uh reba the blind lady walking around outside yeah like an escape mental patient or something <laughs> i mean it's kind of interesting how it's a uh a retirement home you know she's walking around yeah that's true this was a really weird scene and i do think that it could have been more tense if we would have heard the voice of the dragon or maybe if he was doing some kind of like golem routine i don't know right if he's like going back and forth between himself because I don't know, I wish there was just a little bit more yeah. there yeah. than him just acting with himself. I felt like he needed something else too, right? And or maybe maybe three voices: his voice, the dragon's voice, and maybe his grandma's voice, all conflicting. That definitely would have made it a little bit more interesting, or at least maybe even just more development on his side in general. Because we don't really get as we don't get very much. So yeah, I totally agree with you. I feel like there's just something here that's missing that could have made the scene so much more better. You know. Yeah, there uh, there is. So, and I don't know if the book gives it to us or not, but yeah, that would be cool. And maybe the TV show will right. do the same also. Uh, of course, we go back to Hannibal, and that's something that is a major change in this movie than in Manhunter, right. because in Manhunter, I believe we only see Hannibal twice. Yeah, we only see him, I think we see him one more time towards the end. But yeah, there's, there's not very many times, we see Hannibal a lot more here than the last one. Right, and clearly because the movie opens with Hannibal right. <laughs> showing that he is a main driving force in this film. Right. Because, of course, the audience wants Hannibal after they've seen Anthony Hopkins portray him twice. So, of course, they want they want more Hannibal. They won the Academy Award for it, and he's a main driving force. And like we've talked about, I'm really glad with how much he is in this film. Yeah, I do like how he's in this one a bit more than he was in uh, Manhunter. He's Anthony yeah. Hopkins. Right, and I really like that dual that duality relationship between yeah. Graham and Lecter. Although, like, I really wish Ed Norton would have gave it a little more. Yeah, Anthony Hopkins is doing great, and Ed Norton's really just kind of like, well, you could have just been talking to a piece of cardboard or popping somebody else. <laughs> exactly. In there or yeah. Something. Yeah, we've we discussed that Ed Norton wasn't our favorite actor in this movie. <laughs> Right, but there's so much more chemistry between Hopkins and um, Jodie Foster. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they developed that so much so better. Much more. 
Did you notice that they made a point to show the drawing of Rome in Hannibal's cell? No, I missed missed that. What? Well, well, the scene cuts to it. We go away from Dollar High, and it cuts back to Hannibal in his cell. Right. And the shot is just that Rome um, church or museum or whatever, and then you like see Hopkins come into the shot, and I was like, so they're clearly showing like, hey, remember the movie last week? You know that you saw. Hannibal and he's going to go there eventually. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, I remember. Now. We also, I mean, we saw the drawing in Silence of the Lambs. Also, it's the same drawing. Right. Yeah, we did. I remember that. I just thought it was interesting how they were making that a point. Like, right? Hey, we're tying back to it or something. Yeah, and this scene's also kind of weird too because he's like, you know, eating in his cell and stuff. And I didn't understand it. Yeah, this was weird. But then the the part that I didn't get was when the guy went to go put like the soup into like the, the thing and he shuts the door and then looks up and hit which is like right there and it's like a, a jump scare or something or whatever it was and the guy like screams and like jumps back or whatever and it's like Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I put that in my notes. I was like, this that is so stupid. It's so cheap. I mean Yep. Seriously? Yep. I had the oh, exact same thing stupid. in my eyes. I said, what what was that about? That's all I said about I it. Mean, Right, that's probably Brett Ratner's fault. Probably. Uh, just really cheap uh, scares, and I really think that's because this is in the very beginning of the 21st century. Yeah. And we see that really begin to develop more and more with the false jump scares. You know, the locker closes, the refrigerator door shuts, someone's there, yep. cue the music. Yep. It's a fake scare, and I think this is kind of where it's starting to begin. And Yeah. Hey. Maybe back in the day, people would have been like, Oh, ha, ha scary, ha! But now to us, it's like, oh wow, yeah, it's, it's like stupid. Shake your head, like, oh, come on, you could do better. Than... And it, the problem is, I mean, I guess we did. I guess we really can't account for Hannibal. But from what we've seen, there just aren't jump scares in these movies. That's not what they're here for. They're not for. They're no. not the scary like that. They're meant to draw you into the world and then proceed to show you these creepy things, but not like like this. This is totally out of their yeah. league. Honestly, it just lowers the caliber of the film. It does. It really does. Introduce scenes like this, and like if Silence of the Lambs would have had that, it really would have taken away from the quality of it. I mean, you build an atmosphere. This is a serious movie. This is not a comedy. This is not a a teen horror movie right. for Pete's sake. Right. It definitely is not. <laughs> I don't know, but I, okay. I'm. I was confused. I I replayed the scene. Yeah. When Dollarhide goes to that museum, does that lady call him Graham? I don't know. Does he know. even know about Will Graham? I don't see. Okay, I have that exact same thing. He's probably read thing. about him, right? I have the exact same thing in my notes that I said, does Dollar Hyde know of Will of Will Graham? And I don't know. It never really does. Never really explains. I guess, well, okay. I guess he would have yes, if he yes, saw yes. the newspaper articles, right? Yes, but no. But also, um, Hannibal told Dollar Hyde to go murder Graham's family. You're right. Yeah. So, uh, she couldn't have called him Graham, though. That it sounded like it to me. I was really, really confused. I'm like, is he pretending to be Will Graham to get access to this painting? Mm-hmm. I don't. But okay, and also, I don't know. Why is he weird, getting access to the painting in the first place? I. And that's what I was wondering. I was like, does is he pretending like he has some kind of credentials to go look at this? And what's even more confusing is, um, when he eats it. Yeah. Like, what the heck? Like, he, he hits the girl on the head, and, and then she passes out, and then he starts to 
eat okay, the paint, funny. like the, the drawing or painting or whatever it is. And it's like, what? <laughs> this scene was just weird because it was. it was also intercut with Hannibal eating. And I was like, okay, are, are we, they're just giving, are they just trying to give the audience more lecture, give them more screen time? It didn't make any sense. I think they're trying to show a relationship between the two characters, but I don't see why this is needs to be here, you know? I think there are better ways of doing know. this if there was some kind of symbolism within it maybe it was the kind of food lector was eating uh they didn't do a very good job of yeah calling that to our attention and honestly that museum lady was weird I yeah mean, she is saying weird things on purpose like it's not even subtle screenwriting yeah like, it looks it's it almost looks alive it's so vivid so fresh I'm like, oh. Yeah, it's like, okay, really? <laughs> okay, really? Yeah, I know. It's so weird when they do that in movies. And, of course, it looks like he's going to lick it. And who? I mean, she's egging him on. I, it's so delicious. It's so, it's so weird. <laughs> and, honestly, I, I don't know if you could eat that and swallow it. I had that in my notes. This takes some dedication to eat this. <laughs> <laughs> like a snake. Yeah. I guess maybe the reason why he's doing this is because he wants to get rid of the red dragon from himself because he had the relationship with that girl, you know? I guess so. It almost... I, I don't know which way to take it. I don't know if to, whether to take it your way mm -hmm. and say that's like him... Because that's like the original painting, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it is. Or something like that. It's pretty... It's, it's important regardless. Right. Well, he destroys it so i'm wondering if he's like by destroying it i'm conquering it or yeah. i i put in my notes i was wondering if he is eating the very original blake painting because he thinks that's the final step for him to transform into the red dragon hmm. and then also later we also get that the scene where he goes to uh mess with the blind girl too because he gets jealous and stuff and i guess maybe that's when the red dragon starts to come out or maybe you're right. I don't know. It's kind of weird. It's it's really weird how they portray this 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 character here towards the end. Yeah, I don't know. But the only there's like a kind of a good Graham moment right after this. Yep. When he figures out it's Chromalex, yep. and you just see his face, and he's like Chromalex, and I was like, yeah, there's, yeah. There's like this finality to it. It's like let's do it. Problem uh, is like that part. Manhunter does this scene better i think oh does it yeah because okay this takes a bit of explanation because in manhunter we get all this information right as the movie goes along and we're not and we're supposed to piece it together as we go and it's and, and we get to this scene where will graham is starting to piece things together that's when like basically the whole movie comes to a head and and all the all the investigating they did beforehand now is starting to make sense and when they find out oh it's chromalux or whatever and then they that's when they make the discovery and they kind of go crazy. And it's like, okay, now it makes sense like, for an audience member. It's like, okay, now it makes sense. I understand all this now. Whereas in Red Dragon, they don't, ex like we, we say this plenty of times, they don't, they don't explain things very well a lot of times. And when they do, I feel like it's almost like, okay, I could have I could have made that connection on my own, you know? And maybe that's just because I've seen Red Dragon or I've seen, uh, Manhunter before, and may, and this is basically the exact same thing. So I, I don't feel the gravity of the situation because in Manhunter they did the exact same thing, but I feel like it did it better because we've been able to draw. I've been able to draw my own conclusions from the beginning of the film up until that point. Whereas in Red Dragon, I wasn't able to do that as much as the other ones. So I don't feel 
like I don't feel as like the big triumph that he's going through, you know. Sure, I think that's a valid point. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, yeah, I don't feel very like vindicated or like it's like super triumphant. Yeah, I guess more so. I just like the line delivery. Yeah, yeah, I get that you. makes sense. Yeah, because really. I just don't think he did, or at least the movie didn't show a very good job of him portraying him solving this. Yeah. I mean, he figures out the lock, which still didn't make any sense to me. He's like, look, he used the lock for that, but wait, it's a different door. I don't even remember what that was leading to or what that was even about. Yeah. I don't know. His investigation doesn't make any sense, whereas I do say in Manhunter, yes, the the clues were much better connected, like the string of like figuring right. out the plot, the weaving, whatever. Right. Much better. It just showed it and represented it a lot better. Whereas in this, it was just like Harvey Keitel's character is just like, all right, quit watching this dang video a hundred times. And then he figures something out. And, and me as the audience member doesn't even understand it. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's, and that kind of goes back to them just not showing Will as much in this one right. because he's kind of absent whereas in manhunter he was the main character and there's a reason why he's the main character because he was the one doing the investigating right so it yeah so yeah they it kind of just goes all the way back to just the character of will because in this one they don't show him as much whereas they did a lot in the last one and that yeah. does kind of i would say not make it not as impactful when it comes to drawing the conclusions in the end this this movie shows Dollar Hyde, it follows him a lot more. Yes, it does show Dollar Hyde a lot more. Yeah. So, and it does, it kind of pushes Graham to a background character almost. Right, right. So, and I don't understand why Dollar Hyde follows this random lady to... Uh, okay, I didn't know that was Chromalex, and I didn't know he worked there. So I was like, okay, are you just, you're just in the mood to murder, or what? You just... It was weird. It didn't make any sense how he's just following her. And then he sees Graham and it scares him. He runs away. Mm -hmm. And I yeah, was, I was just like, why are you following her into the building? Like, I have, I'm not, I don't know this. Par this, this paranoia maybe because he knows that he's clearly been stealing stuff right from Chromalex. So he's just paranoid maybe. And he's like, oh, you know, great. What's going on? Um, or maybe they, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Threw me off. <laughs> yeah, it's it, this yeah, from here on things kinda of, kinda of muddy and whatever. It's it's weird. It's so weird. Well, and you know, it's also kind of weird that we kind of have this side plot with this goofy guy and the blind lady. Yeah, okay, that was also in Manhunter too. Essentially, if I remember right, he's a co worker. Yeah. At the place. Um so I think he just takes her out one night or something like that. Or if I remember right, maybe I'm wrong about this. Don't quote me, but if I remember right, in Manhunter, it's his brother. It's her brother. But I can't really remember in Manhunter. In Manhunter, at least. Oh, but well, I could be so wrong been... about that. I know there's a different. Well, they want to be romantic. Yeah. Nice. Right. No, they aren't. Well, in Manhunter, they weren't romantic at all. But in right. this one, he kisses her cheek and stuff, and that's what enrages our boy, Duller Hyde. Yeah. Shoots him in the head. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I like the music, though, in this scene. Oh, yeah, you know, the music in this movie is pretty dang good for the most part. Yeah. yeah it, was, it was pretty uh, suspenseful and thrilling music. It's our, our boy, uh, Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman. Good job. Always good. Well, I felt bad for her. Yeah. Because that would be really scary. Um, Reba, when you're blind especially. Right. So you just... I don't know. She yeah. maybe shouldn't be so trusting. Maybe she should ask, who is it? Yeah, problem is, once again... 
Manhunter does this scene better because he enters mm. her house, you know, and then starts mm-hmm. like messing with her because she's blind mm. and so she can't hear him walking around and stuff. And he sort of starts like doing things and scaring her and stuff. And it was really effective oh. because I think that's actually scarier. Yeah, because and not in this one they don't do that at all. He he knocks mm. her out and brings her to her brings her to his house and then mm. you know does something different. Whereas in Manhunter, he enters her house, locks the doors and and stuff, and like just starts messing with her, and she can't do much about it because she's blind, you know. So right. it was a, yeah, however implausible it, the scene was, it was pretty suspenseful for the most part, whereas in here, I didn't really feel that, you know. Right. But we finally get to, he drags her back to his house, because I'm assuming he wants to, no, he doesn't want to, he feels compelled to sacrifice her, but yes. he believes that to escape from this red dragon, he has to shoot her, and then he'll shoot himself. Right. And I thought I thought the fire scene looked cool. I thought that was a good look. Yeah, yeah. And okay, this also confused me because I didn't know he took her back to his house at first. I thought they were still in hers, and no, I was I, I didn't think so. And I was so confused at first until they caught her on fire, and she's like, "Okay, three steps from here to the door." And I was like, "Oh, okay, so that's where they're at," you know. But that was stupid. Yeah, yeah. We go back to that foreshadowing thing, but I mean. I think you're right. I think to get himself away from the Red Dragon, he needs to do a sacrifice of him and himself. But then we find out later that he didn't actually kill himself. Well, at this point in the movie, I was incredibly frustrated. Same. Because I thought... I was shocked. I was like, oh my gosh, he did kill himself. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is super unfulfilling. Right. The movie has been building to this climactic head between the protagonist and villain, and we don't even get we don't even get it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. When the villain kills himself off, it basically negates the rest of the movie. And I was like, all right, this just affected my score. Yeah. I had a score, and I'm like, all right, score has been changed. Yeah. This is- this, this scene alone was not executed very well because, like you said, we don't get that confrontation between the the hero and, and the villain in this scene. Yeah. It's just the hero and some random girl he found, you know, and it's and it's just like, all right, fine, you know, <laughs> I guess it's, that's the way it's going to be, you know, but then we do end up getting that in the end, but still this scene, this is, okay, this is where it goes completely different from Manhunter is this scene because this scene does not happen in Manhunter. Like I right, said, he I just goes that. into, he just goes into the girl's house and then messes with her and then Will shows up and then that's the end of things. But in yeah. this one, he... He tr- catches the house on fire and then uh, shoots her, shoots himself, and then she runs out, and then he goes, and then ends up. It wasn't even him. It, he didn't even kill himself. He's still alive and out there and stuff. So mm-hmm. it's just it's it's just frustrating because it's just so different from the other from the last one, and it doesn't even execute it very well. And it's just like, okay, come on, did we just did we just get to it? You know? Oh well, I also thought it was really weird. Just to quickly say, his house exploded. Yeah, like what the heck? <laughs> yeah, okay, that's dramatic action movie. And and they didn't even like the first explosion with uh, Norton running up to the house and then just kind of exploding like. Oh, that was dumb. Yeah, yeah. he flies back. I was like, ooh, <laughs> that didn't look good. <laughs> well, okay, so I assumed the movie was just going to be over. Same. When they're sitting on the dock, and the son's like, "Can we make s'mores?" And I'm like, "Okay, the movie's over. I'm kind of frustrated that I even watched this." Right. And then when he's like, where is he? He should be back by now. Mm. And then he gets a call and, or we figure out, they're like, that wasn't Dollar Hyde. Right. And I was like, (gasps) 
And then I was like, okay, this is a pretty good twist. I was glad with that. I was like, oh man, this this is the showdown I wanted. So and this was the this was the twist though. Yeah. Because remember Hannibal gave him the address and in right. Manhunter it was unfulfilled and that ticked me off. And then in this it was unfulfilled and that ticked me off because I think that would be a great climax. We got it as the climax. Yeah, so I glad. I do like that the climax does change so that way he does end up using the uh yeah. the the address. But just That's I feel like just cool. getting to that point, it's just like Fine, I guess. For me, at least, because I guess because mm. I've seen Manhunter, I expect it to go a different way. But like you said, it it does. It is better that they used the the address in the end. I do like that. That they end up having the actual showdown in his house with his own family. That was kind of cool to see. I mean, I thought it was pretty nerve wracking when he had his son there. Yeah, and you just really don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, and I did. I was kind of disappointed though, because I thought. I mean, if that was my son, oh my gosh. And the boy wasn't even crying at first. Right. He has a glass to his face. I mean, he's just standing there. I'm like, okay, this boy is a bad actor. And then Ed Norton's not doing much better because no. he should be like, oh my gosh, you know. I mean, I understand he can't like really show fear, but still just his, I just seem way too calm about it. Like, yeah. he's like, I perfectly know how to fix this situation. It will be okay. And I'm, I'm just... Yeah, yeah, I was like, come on, Ed Norton, you're a good actor. Do right. something good here, you know, but he doesn't even try. It's it's kind of like, uh, it's okay, it's like he knows what the killer, his weakness is. Right, what well, he does, yeah. And, but the problem is the movie never, the movie doesn't really explain that, so He's, I was confused. He said he read his, no, he said he read, he's like, I read his journal, oh, and it that's was right. really sad. And then that's he right. used that knowledge to thwart dollar high right well regardless i just i don't know it didn't feel realistic you know it didn't feel like this is what i would do in this situation it didn't he's a seasoned fbi veteran right he's way better than us i so. suppose <laughs> just kidding right I, honestly though i did think it was kind of a cool idea how he started doing that to his son yeah and dollar hide went from a position of threatening to like almost protective because he took the glass away and he's like holding the boy back like you're not going to hurt him and then he threw him down pretty hard, though, and yeah. then they went at it. And I thought it was pretty intense when they have to run away, and he's busting, trying to bust down the door, and then he stops. I'm like, oh, crap. And then the wife starts walking up the stairs. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And they start shooting through the door. Yeah. And they both get shot. And I didn't know if Graham was going to live or not. And I thought that was – I was really excited. Yeah, I, I, I did like that intense. scene. I thought it was hilarious, though, because, you know, or Norton gets down on the floor and he's, like, watching yeah. it from under the yeah. crack. And then he sees his wife come up the stairs and she's like, what are you guys doing? And then all <laughs> of a sudden, Dollar Hyde just comes up behind her. He's like, you know, wife, drop. And she just immediately just listens to him and just drops on the floor. It's like, okay, you know. And then, yeah, that yeah. was it was kind of cool how they shot through the door. That was pretty cool. Well, and then the other thing that I brought up earlier, earlier in the review. Yeah. We, sh we, saw, um, we saw Graham teaching Molly how to shoot. Right. That was to set up this scene when he's like, shoot him, and she just shot him a couple times. So there is way too much of that um, setting little minor things up in the first act, or right. I guess even second act, that don't need to be set up. Yeah, and also, we really don't need this here either. Like, I feel like it would be even more satisfying if our hero was able to kill Dollar Hyde and not the wife. Yeah. I didn't think about that, but I actually 100% agree with that. Yeah, because we never know anything about the wife in the first place. So why is this important to us, you know? I, I didn't like her as a character at all in this yeah. movie. 
So that is kind of, it kind of takes away from the victory that's supposedly been building. I mean, I don't know. We we both discussed, we both agree. Yeah. It really wasn't super satisfying how we figured out this case. I, I watched the movie yesterday and I don't even, I don't remember how, him, how he solved the case. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. I just don't remember. And he didn't even do half the stuff. They might get other people doing it for him. Right. After this, things just go really, really fast, and then the movie just ends. <laughs> but didn't you think it was kind of similar to Silence of the Lambs? How um, it's kind of wrapping up, and except with this, Will is reading the letter, and in the other one, um, Starling is talking to Hannibal on the phone. Yeah, I do, I do see the similarities between the two, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I knew it had to wrap up fast because during that um, climactic fight, I was like, we've only got a couple minutes left yeah. or even before that. I was like, how are we wrapping this up? So, no, I, yeah, I was completely fine with it. I really liked um, Hannibal's letter. Yeah. It was actually, that was actually really good writing um, yeah. for this movie. And I like how he was talking about um, half measures, which I was really kind of introduced to that concept in Breaking Bad. When Mike is like, no more half measures, only full measures. And Hannibal says, a rational society would either kill me or put me to some use. And it's a really good closing statement and end for Hannibal, I thought, in this movie. Right, yeah. I, I completely agree. I feel like the writing here really shows because I feel like now we're kind of transitioning into Silence of the Lambs, you know? Yeah, and like the writing was really good. I do like how he how he said that line and everything else in the letter was also really good. It, it's feel like it really kind of captures the character of Hannibal at the end of the day. Yeah, this was probably some of the best writing in the movie. Yeah, because even though Ted Talley came back to write this from um, Silence, mm-hmm. the writing isn't just it's just not as good. Yeah, it really... in this. Yeah, it's not... especially Lecter's lines and everything. I don't know. There's yeah. something something was missing in that like seven to eight year gap of writing. Yep, and also I before we done a couple of these, some of Norton's some of Norton had a, a few one liners, and yeah. they were really that good. Mm. Like I'll give you an example. Okay, I have here my notes. Forced dialogue. This won't stop. Why not? Because it makes him God. That was one of the lines that was spoken between uh, Norton and somebody else. And I was like... A little smug. Like, okay. Yeah, I, he's like, if you were God, would you want to do this? And right. she's like, oh, wow, good point. Yeah, a little... Right. Little, so, I mean... Much, a little forced. <laughs> yeah, just, just, just a bit. So, I mean, it's just like, okay, you know... Not very natural. Right. But something else that I kind of had an issue with was when Hannibal looks at the camera... It's like he's breaking the fourth wall because whenever there was those center, like, oncoming shots of Hannibal and Silence of the Lambs, it never really looked like he was looking directly at the camera. Right. It looked like he was looking slightly over it because he was looking at Clarice, which I think was even more unsettling because when he looks directly at the camera, it it feels like he's almost breaking the fourth wall. Mm -hmm. Like he's winking at us like, I don't know. It just took me out of it, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of weird. I mean, it's it's a little pointless at the end, this kind of, what what could we call it now? This new, like, you know, Marvel puts it at the end to tie it into the sequel. Yeah. It's kind of like what this was. I mean, it's kind of pointless, but it did make me smile when he's like, oh, but I'll tell her you don't want to see her. And Hannibal's like, 
what's her name? And then, then it cut away, and I was like, oh, that's kind of a fun tie. Yeah. Lead into Silence of the Lambs. Right, right. Yeah. So. And then, yeah, the movie just kind of, for me at least, the movie just kind of like, once the climax happened, it kind of went boom, 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 and then it's done. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> it, was, it ends just so quickly. I feel like it would have taken more time to build to Maybe. end the movie and, and you know, the resolution and everything, but this is me. If you think back to Sons of the Lambs, though, because I say it's the same way. She kills Buffalo Bill. She gets an award. They have a party. She gets a phone call, and it's over. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, the thing about that one, though, is that it makes, like, I feel like everything in the ending of that makes sense why it'd be there. Because now she solved her first case, so she's going to get a medal for that and all this stuff. And then Hannibal, at the very, very end, calls her and is and says, I'm going to have an old friend for dinner. And then he's gone. And, and I feel like that yeah. ending is just is so much better than this one here because it yeah. wraps up the film and everyone everyone's character is just so well. This one, not so much. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really have an issue with it. I mean, Graham is clearly sailing away, um, which is kind of. I'm pretty sure in Manhunter we see him and his son working on the boat. Yes, and repairing it. We didn't see that in this, as far as I know. Yeah, yeah so we didn't. they're kind of um, sailing away from that life. I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. I, I I didn't have an issue with it. I felt like it wrapped up. Yeah, just fine. I know. It, I just it felt like just like a, a big jump from him being shot to always on the boat. He's fine. You know. Yeah. So. And for our listeners, I do recommend that you listen to our review of Manhunter just so you get um, the fuller picture of our thoughts and feelings on that. Because I have given Manhunter compliments, but you need to understand that in context. So that's why I suggest listening to the full review and hearing my thoughts and hearing Alan's thoughts. Because when you're just comparing scenes... That's different because you can say, oh, well, they did that better. That doesn't necessarily mean you liked the entire film better or certain aspects of it better. So I do recommend you go and listen because these reviews of Manhunter and Red Dragon are, even though they're reviews over this movie that's like nearly the same, the reviews themselves, our reviews are pretty different, I would say. I have a question that I just saw in my notes. Okay, does Silence of the Lambs need a prequel? I would say no. No, Silence of the Lambs doesn't need a prequel because it is such a wonderful standalone story that, like I said, like Hannibal himself, because this is our Hannibal retrospective. Right. So we're we're focusing on Hannibal, really. And I just don't... I mean, when you take such an iconic character and you try to begin to explain everything... And you're trying to show like, oh, this is what happened before, and this is that, and look at this. No, I feel like you really just begin to diminish the character because you already have something great. When you try to just add more to it, you're just going too far. Right. And that's why I feel that about um, Hannibal Rising. Right. Because that really explains the so-called origins of Hannibal Lecter. And this is going back, showing his past before, and it's just... It's just not worthy, especially if you're not going to innovate and do something awesome. And with certain movies, like The Empire Strikes Back, for instance, was an example we brought up. This, The Silence of the Lambs struck gold. Yeah. There are certain movies that come along once in a while that strike gold. And when you do a sequel or a prequel, they're doomed to fail. Because they have just been built up so much in the audience's mind, and especially over time. That, like, when they came back, what was it, six years later to do Hannibal, 
um, yeah, it it was a big major letdown. Yeah, it was. And this was an improvement over Hannibal, but still, it it just was very lacking, and it it just kind of sours your taste a little bit, right? For Silence of the Lambs, because and when your expectations are so high already, it's impossible. Yeah. To lower them. You yeah. expect something even greater, and then when you don't get that, you're let down. Right. So I think it's kind of an impossible task, and probably one that shouldn't be tried. There's only there's only been certain times. Empire Strikes Back, Aliens, um, right. Terminator Two. Um, I don't know. Those are probably some of the most well known ones that came back. Um, the Indiana Jones trilogy is all equally pretty fun, except I'd say Raiders maybe is probably the best. Yeah. Out of them, yeah. See, with that, it's either Raiders or uh, Last Crusade. We don't talk about the fourth one. <laughs> well, we are going to talk about it when we review them. So. Yes, we will. Unfortunately, <laughs> I have stuff to say about that movie, but we'll I'm get there. I'm telling a retrospective. <laughs> but okay, the, the reason why I bring this question up is because at the very end of the movie, we see a, one of the officers come by and talk to Hannibal and saying, "There's a girl coming by to talk to you," and he's like, "Oh yeah, what's her name?" And I was like, oh, why did we have to put that in there? You know, like, I understand why we got, how we got Hannibal in the cell. I can, I can see that. It's, I guess it's fine. No, I can it buy it. It feel weird. But when they said, when they, when they said there's a girl coming by to meet you, I was just like, don't go there. Please don't go there. And he's like, oh, what's her name? And then, you know, it cuts to the credits. I was like, oh, come on. Because now I feel like that's detracting from our introduction to Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs because when we see Hannibal for the first time, and I said this in the, in the retrospective or in the review for the movie, when we see Hannibal for the first time, he's standing there as if he's expecting her, right? Yeah. And now the film is, now this film, Red Dragon, has decided to bring along as to how he knows this, which mm. I feel like detracts completely from the scene because before we were like okay how did he know this why is he standing there waiting for her this is scary because we we are introduced to this guy who just is just so like powerful in the way that he like does things and how he's able to get inside someone's mind and we get to see that as the scene plays out how he like he may not have known that she was coming but he was expecting her Right. And that's the scariest part about that scene is that just brings you into the character of Hannibal Lecter because you see him as if he was expecting her. And now the movie's explained to us, oh yeah, this is how he knew that information. And it's like, but then it kind of, and it detracts from the scene because now we know how he knows that. And it's like, oh, okay. And it kind of gets this, the film, Sounds of the Lamb started off on a different foot now that we have that scene explained to us. So I did not, I didn't think about that at all, actually. Yeah. Because you're right, in Silence of the Lambs, when Clarice comes, he is standing there waiting for her. Yeah. And you're like, whoa. Because, I don't know, I guess you're right. I guess, and it's kind of like what I said, this does kind of diminish the magic we get of Hannibal. Because when we first are introduced to Hannibal in this movie, he's laying down, which shows that he has no idea. Right. I don't know, he just doesn't have that same presence. He just gets really petty and he tears up, and then he gives into Graham, which is not the lector we know from Sounds of the Lambs. Right. It's not like the character we could really look up to. And you're right, I didn't think about that at all because he was warned. And so that that is yeah, I I kind of I kind of hate that actually because mm-hmm. that's just like taking something really cool and then you just have to explain it and totally like it's like a magic trick almost. Right. Right. You know, you're like, whoa, that looks so amazing, and you're like, oh, well, it's just attached to a string or something. Yeah. Right. And you're like, oh. 
okay, well, that just ruined it for me. Right, so, yeah. I I mean it still doesn't it doesn't ruin it for me though. Yeah. Um I mean in the in the context of the film, yeah, that's a really poor choice. I I mean at first I just kind of smiled I'm like, "Oh, that's kind of fun." But still it was really un- yeah, that's what I said. I I said that in the reels like, "Oh, that's pointless." Mm. Earlier yeah. just a little bit ago, I was like, "Oh, that's pointless." Yeah, I'm just I'm, I don't know, but, for someone for if this is cuz this is a prequel to Silence. It very much right. puts it out there. This is a sequel to Sounds of the Lambs. So yeah. I feel like if someone was to go in and see this movie first and then watch Silence, then they that scene when they're, when Hannibal is introduced in Silence, it'd be detracting from the magic that brings the scene into existence. And then, you know, right. you know, introduces us to the character of Hannibal. So that was, that was going, was going through my mind when I first watched that scene. I was like, oh, okay, like, is that a good <laughs> idea? You know? So I just yeah. wanted to see what your thoughts were on it. Yeah, and that is like a really big connecting um, scene. And the only other movie that I can think of that connects so closely is, and I won't spoil the end, everyone. You can go listen to our Rogue One discussion. Mm -hmm. But the end of Rogue One connects so well to the beginning of A New Hope. Yeah. I really like that, but it didn't diminish anything as far as I felt. It, it, It was really perfect. Right, I feel like that, like... The reason why is because it it tells us the story like as we were expecting it to be told, you know. So yeah. I feel like with Rogue One they at least played it out in a really good way, but and I don't know. I feel like in this one they just it was just like shoveling it on the end, like oh this could be a sequel to Silence, and they just like took this little scene and the very end to show you that oh it is a, se- a prequel to Silence or whatever. So I don't know. It's, yeah, that was my thoughts when I first saw it, and I was like okay. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was so they could drive up Silence. Maybe Lambs DVD sales. And Maybe people go back to that because honestly, for the most of the movie, I I always forget this is a prequel. Yeah, I just think it's a sequel. Honestly, yeah, same. Uh, I I always throughout the whole movie, I never thought about it, except in the very beginning, which really confused me because right. it said it took place in like 1980 or something. Yeah, 1980, which doesn't seem right. And then of course we have to jump ahead, like. I don't know, 10 years or something. Yeah. Cause he t- or eight years. He's like, oh, I've been in this cell for eight years. He tells that to Clarice. Right. So it would nearly be the 90s. And which I, I'm sure that's when silence could take place. I don't know if it was meant to take place in 95 when the year it came out or somewhere around that time period. Right. So it could have worked. But so, Alan, what are your final thoughts on Red Dragon? Okay, well, <laughs> I'm sure you probably could tell at this point that I wasn't the biggest fan of this one, mainly because I like—I actually did like Manhunter quite a bit when it was all said and done. Like, I, I recognize there is not the most perfect thing in the world, and I, and I even pointed out there are things in here that Red Dragon does better than Manhunter, you know, just in general. But I feel like the reason why Manhunter works so well is because it takes its time to build its story until it reaches a head where it's like, okay, now we can get into it, you know? And it, it, it takes its time to draw the audience in and not only, like, reward them for thinking throughout the film, but also let them draw their own conclusions so that way when Will has his big revelation moment, it's really satisfying because the film's built up to that point. Mainly because we see Will a lot more often in Manhunter than we do in Red Dragon. Because at one point, like I've said, at one point Red Dragon, Will just kind of just drops off the face of the earth. And we always see him uh, 
two or three times after that, up until the climax. And it's kind of like, okay, well, then who's our main character then? Because if we're not going to be focusing on Will, then maybe the second person that has the most screen time here is Dollarhide. But like I said before, Dollarhide's also the villain. So who's supposed to be the main character here? You know, I was, I, at one point I got so confused because both characters are not developed enough that I know really, I know them very well. And then also kind of puts a detriment on the film because if I don't know the main character well enough, then how am I supposed to get into the story? You know, so I mean, it's just kind of all this stuff that's just all over the place in this movie. And in the end, I didn't really like the ending as much as I thought I would. I thought I would. I mean, it's it's kind of it is satisfying, but at the same time, I wish I would. I wish Will would have been in the one to kill him. You know, or little things like that. And so, like, I I liked that we got to see Anthony Hopkins a bit more in this one than in Manhunter. We didn't see Harry Lecter as much, but. It's I, I I don't know like I said it's it feels like, I feel like this film is on a different level than the audience is because the film thinks oh this is the level of intensity we're going to bring the audience to when in reality we kind of get to that point but not all the way like in that scene when Dollar Hides like going kind of going crazy when the blinding's outside because we never get to that point where we understand we empathize with the character of of okay now I understand why he's going to do this to himself it's kind of just like oh. So that's the level we're on, you know, and it's like, there's just, there's just so much more there that I feel like the movie's just completely missing and it's just not even taking the time to, to flesh out because the movie does move pretty quick when you compare it to Manhunter. And I do like that aspect of it, but at the same time, the reason why Manhunter's pacing works so well is because it let us think as the film was going on and let us, you know, get to know these characters more. And also in the end, when Will Graham has to save his family, it, I feel like it would have been, it would have worked a lot better if that scene was in Manhunter because we at least had some family there to build off of. So in the end, I don't know. I, there's, there are things I like. There are things I don't like about Manhunter or of Red Dragon. It really, for the most part, is just a remake of Manhunter. It does do a few things better. I would say that Manhunter definitely is the better film. I'm going to give Red Dragon a 6 out of 10. I actually would give it a pretty solid recommend because Manhunter is a bit slow and for some people it kind of just depends on what your personal preference is you know and for me I did like Manhunter more because I gotta think more I didn't get that with Red Dragon there was I feel like the movie kind of just drew its own conclusions and didn't really let me get into the film as Manhunter did so those are my thoughts okay we're gonna take a different path oh boy (laughs) (laughs) well it's kind of different I say Red Dragon is a chilling prequel sequel to the revered Silence of the Lambs. And in my opinion, I think Red Dragon is better than Manhunter. It does because of the pacing, I would say, honestly. Yeah. And just some of the other things. Because I had such an issue with the pacing of Manhunter. Like when I when I shut it off, I was like, okay, I just don't care. I just don't care what's happening. I don't care to see what's resolved. Whereas this one piqued my interest enough and moved fast enough that it didn't really give me the opportunity even though I did say in the review that I was kind of like, oh, I don't really care anymore, I still was a little interested to see how it resolved. I mean, that being said, it's just nowhere near the level of Silence of the Lambs, though. Yeah. It, it like, harkens a little too close to the Manhunter story for me to have a vested interest because I was really wanting something different, but I guess that means they're just sticking close to the source material, and I guess that means that's not my favorite story i guess i just didn't really think it was that great of a story um and it 
I feel like it does improve upon Manhunter by the visuals and pacing, which we talked about. And I would say the best part of Red Dragon is Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. Best part. Uh, he was a welcome addition, especially seeing him back in his cell. But the magic and performance captured in Silence of the Lambs is somewhat diminished. Sadly, Ed Norton doesn't do much better than William Peterson, who played Will Graham in Manhunter. And honestly, neither does any of the other characters. They really don't bring anything new to the table. And I don't really have a connection with any of them, which can really be a detriment to a movie normally. And the only character worthy of note, I would also say, is Ralph Fiennes' character, Francis Dollarhide, a.k.a. the Red Dragon, a.k.a. the Tooth Fairy, which that Tooth Fairy is very played down in this movie. And he has a really warped character with an insane past, and I would say he's probably more warped than Buffalo Bill, but he falls short of Buffalo Bill, in my opinion. And sadly, we only get tidbits about Dollarhide's past, and that's not enough to flesh out this insane character and satisfy me. I don't believe they ever even explain why he is drawn to William Blake's Red Dragon. I'm thankful for the twist at the end because that that did redeem the movie for me. And it really was a great twist for a climax I hoped to get, but I didn't think I would. And all this being said, Red Dragon is simply just too lacking for this to be a worthy sequel or prequel to Silence of the Lambs. Uh, thankfully, it is much better than Hannibal, but it doesn't give me a reason to come back and watch this again. I mean, why shouldn't I just pop on Silence of the Lambs instead? Right. So I am giving Red Dragon six stars out of ten. This is a very weak recommend for me because, I mean, if you want a chilling horror thriller, then this is available. <laughs> But there's so many better things out there. I recommend go back and watch Psycho or watch Prisoners or Zodiac 7, Insidious Chapter 2, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. All of those movies I picked out have similar themes that are touched on in Red Dragon, but I feel like those movies are much more enjoyable experiences. And they're like some of them are done by better directors. Um, Zodiac 7, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo are all done by David Fincher. Which I guess he's a big name in movie making. Yeah, he's <laughs> really good at making those dark movies, right. and uh, he's in a whole different caliber than Brett Ratner. So, <laughs> Just a bit. The reason I suggest watching Insidious Chapter 2 is because I see a real similarity between the relationship we see in Insidious 2 and that of Dollar Hyde and his grandma. Okay, yeah. And, of course, Psycho. Um, well, Psycho's a classic. That, yeah, we already touched on that one also. And if you want to go to maybe some reading material instead of a movie, I suggest um, Stephen King's latest book, uh, Mr. Mercedes, because the relationship we see in Red Dragon from just that dialogue is um, a big thing in Mr. Mercedes. Very, very creepy, very eerie, except it's flushed out far, far better in that book. And maybe it is in Thomas Harris's novel. But, or if you just want to go back, just go back to Sounds of the Lambs, of course. <laughs> I mean, we've both seen yeah. the movie at least three times, right? We've seen it a lot, yeah. And that is just an incredible film. It's really hard to beat. Sadly, I'm really sad. This is the 
very final installment of our Hannibal Lecter series, and none of them came anywhere close to Silence of the Lambs. I know. They, Silence of the Lambs is up on this pedestal just because it, they, they, it is that good, and the rest of them are just kind of like, almost, some of them are almost there, but kind of getting close, but not really. They, none of them even get anywhere, so I mean, it's like, uh, darn. <laughs> I know, I just... Uh, this is the closest I think it was going to get, though, because we got um, Hopkins back, of course. Right. We got the screenwriter back, the cinematographer back. Sadly, we did not get the director back. Yeah. I think that could have been a really big part right. um, because the director, of course, gives the actor's direction and really steers the film. And Brett Ratner, just from what I've seen, is not the best director. I don't understand why he was tapped to do this film. Mm -hmm. So, and maybe that could be some of the problem. Um, And I don't even know. I I just, and I'm really, I'm really kind of disappointed that they, they did Hannibal Rising because that just seems like it even further just destroys the character. And from what I've heard, it's just a terrible film. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I went over and listened to um, Now Playing's podcast right. of Animal Rising, and Arnie was like, "I if I if I if it wasn't for Now Playing, I would have shut the movie off." Oh man! So that should tell you something, and that that's kind of one of the reasons why we're not doing it. We don't want to waste our time. This retrospective has taken us a long time, and we kind of want to move on to something more lighthearted right. now. So it's been a good retrospective. I'm glad to say that I have now seen what I believe the only films to be. I'm not going to include Animal Rising. That yep. it just seems silly. Right. So that that wraps up our Hannibal retrospective. You guys can go to silverscreenguide.wordpress.com. Go under either movies or TV shows. To go to coming soon, and you will see the upcoming uh, retrospectives that we plan on doing and of course we try to get them out in a somewhat timely manner but we're both college students (laughs) so the release date is tentative upon when we have time to record this and alan spends a lot of time editing these to make it sound good for you guys and we're we're just two poor college students so and we really do we really would appreciate it if you went to um we do like to do bonus podcasts during the retrospective and those are just a dollar and those are really fun we really um prisoners was three hours long we analyzed that film oh yeah like none other i mean we you really get an incredible prisoners experience and i honestly see prisoners as kind of the spiritual successor to yeah. Silence of the Lamb. So yeah. if you really kind of want that spiritual vibe and successor feel, then I would say skip Red Dragon. Don't don't go to Manhunter. Definitely don't go to Hannibal. Um, go to Prisoners because I think you're going to be the most satisfied with that same kind of vibe and experience. Right. And, of course, any of the other ones I talked about, but we felt Prisoners was the closest spiritual sequel to Silence of the Lambs. Right. So, Alan, thank you so much for joining me on this retrospective, and I'm really looking forward to doing another one. Yeah, same. Well, thank you again, listeners. We really appreciate um, all of the downloads and for coming to our website and following us on social media and just uh, keeping up to date with what we what we do. Uh, this We just love to do 
this. We love to review films. We love to analyze films. Uh, we we love to give you guides. We love to give you podcasts. We have a YouTube channel you may not know about where we will give um, trailer reactions, um, top 10 of 2016. I also have a video on there analyzing the film 2001 A Space Odyssey. That just broke 600 views, so I thank you for that. And please share that around. Um, I did work hard on that. That was actually a really massive college paper I wrote, and that is actually a published paper. So I did want to bring that to you in video format. So make sure to check it out. We've got media and content across all platforms. We love to put out new content. So make sure to definitely sign up for um, our email newsletter. You'll get once a week so you can see all the new content and you won't miss out on anything we're putting out we're putting out even more great stuff and we look forward to delivering that to you so until next time make sure to uh, stay up to date with us and we look forward to coming back and talking with you guys again thanks